Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. It is me, Sterling, with Justin and Heather doing a very fun episode for you guys talking about fans versus critics. This is something we've talked about behind the scenes a lot and something that's been come up a lot on Facebook, you know, because we do consider ourselves movie critics in a way, but in a lot of ways, we are also fans. So we are going to talk about uh, a few examples of movies that fans and critics have recently disagreed highly on. The four we're going to mainly focus on today are Venom, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, Glass, and fuck, why can't I remember the fourth? Oh, Hereditary. Jeez. I was like, man, I'm the one that came up with those four movies and I fucking forgot that fourth one right at the end. Uh, But yes, those are the four movies we are going to focus on. Hereditary, Venom, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and Glass. All for different reasons. Um, We have Venom and Glass as examples of movies that critics absolutely hated, but fans have completely embraced and loved. And we also have Star Wars The Last Jedi and Hereditary as examples of movies that critics loved and gave really excellent scores to. And ultimately, fans have come out in droves saying they did not like them. So we're going to start this off with Jastin. We're going to talk about real quick something we have already addressed just a little bit. So in this example, Jastin, when it comes to Venom, like what do you think correlates to that difference with you? Okay. Wow. Well, when it comes to Venom, I I mean, I think that pretty much we all unanimously hated that film. So I think it's safe to say that uh, we were all pretty much in agreement in the fact that we did not like this movie. So uh, honestly, I was I was really taken aback to find out that so many fans sided with this film that so many fans like this film and just go. And sometimes when I see such a discrepancy like that, it motivates me to kind of do research or ask around and talk to people. And I don't know about you guys, but the response that I kept getting about this movie is that simply it was just mindless entertainment. It wasn't serious at all. It, the film recognized that it was having fun and it and it w- it had fun with its premise. It wasn't trying too hard to impress, or didn't feel like it was trying to be this epic situation or be taken so seriously, like a lot of these other movies had been up until that point. And people just tended to say that you know what, it was fun and it was silly and it was just a forgettable, good fun time at the movies. And that's why I liked it. It was a nice change up from all of the serious toned, epic, sad movies that we had gotten up until that time. And I feel like maybe a lot of people are referencing how they felt about Infinity War after that was over. And when you look at this and and that's true, it's on it's completely on the other side of the spectrum. When you look at something like this and you look at something like Infinity War And I just want to say that maybe this movie is just an example of the right place at the right time. I think that maybe Infinity War with that cliffhanger ending and people fading away and things like that, perhaps it was such a downer that people just were inviting something a little more fun and a little bit more uplifting. And I feel like maybe that has something to do with why fans sided with this film so much. Heather, what about you? So I I would 
agree mostly with what Jason said, because what I've heard also from the people that do like it is, oh, it's just fun. You know, it's a fun movie. And so for me, I feel like that's it seems to cater to the audience of people who are just like, you know, I want to get away and just watch some action and, you know, not have to think about it. I don't want a deep story. I don't want any of that. That seems to be the people that have enjoyed it, which that's no knock on them because I have many times where that's the type of movie I'm looking for. But I just, for me, I just really disliked this movie so much because I didn't think it was funny, really. And it was, I mean, there were parts of it that, sure, they could have been fun if they were done better. But yeah, it just seems to me like it's, it's more, it's, it's more catered to people that don't really want to, um, you know, they don't want to have to think about a movie. They just want to go and cut loose and just, you know, get away, get their mind off of things. Like Jason said, mindless entertainment. That is the only thing that I can think of as to why people even liked this movie at all. Like I was very shocked also that so many people enjoyed this movie or said that it was a great movie. I, there were actually a few people that said great movie. And it, it's one of the most baffling things that I've heard <laughs> just because even if you're like, yeah, I liked it. It was okay. You know, I can understand like, yeah, it was all right. Better than, oh, this was a great movie. Because for me, it doesn't, that doesn't register with me. So I think that Jason's pretty dead on with the, you know, they just want the mindless entertainment and they don't want to have to think about it. And that's, that's the only thing I can think of as to why people liked it. Because, you know, unless it's, and I, I'm not familiar with the comics or anything like that, unless it's just a very true thing to the comics, which my understanding is it's not really like there's parts that are, but parts that aren't. And so I just, that's not something I think is going to be a reason for why they like it. So the only thing I can think of is they're just like, oh, it's good action and it's it's just fun, you know, to just go and not have to think about anything. That's legitimately the only reason that I can think of as why so many people liked it. So I have coined a term for what this movie does. It's a phenomenon or a syndrome, however you want to look at it. But I call it the anticipatory fanboy syndrome or anticipatory fanboy phenomenon. And what that is, is it's somebody, it's a fan base that wants something for so long that essentially when they get any version of it that they even vaguely feel is familiar, they latch onto it. And I kind of feel like that's what happened with Venom because in the most vaguest of senses, it does kind of resemble uh, a lot of the Venom uh, solo story arcs from the 90s. Um, mainly Lethal Protector. It's it's just got the vaguest hint of that storyline to it. So they just kind of jump to it. Uh, same with Batman versus Superman. It's you know it's been decades of people wanting to see Batman and Superman on the screen together, and they finally got a version of it. And so many of them latched onto it. And you know so many fans, especially of DC, were talking about how it's the greatest superhero movie and all this other stuff. And I mean, even at the time, it wasn't. And, you know, to me, that's what's the most shocking thing about Venom is we are in just a cultural cinematic renaissance when it comes to superhero films. We have seen dumb characters get somewhat legit movies like Doctor Strange. When the fuck does Doctor Strange matter outside of reading comic books? And then all of a sudden now he's a major player in the MCU. People legitimately love Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. 
I mean, fuck, you have Paul Rudd as Ant-Man and, you know, getting some serious watches. Black Panther. Black Panther was a nominal character for a long time and finally Mm -hmm. started gaining some relevance within the Marvel Universe itself. And now it's one of the biggest superhero franchises of all time. And it's had one fucking movie. And then somehow you're supposed to tell me that like Venom is good enough. No, like that's the thing is we at this point can demand better films from these fucking people by just not going and fucking watching garbage and in turn it not making the amount of money they think it should be. So then they reboot it and give us something different. And maybe if you do that enough times, you get something good out of it. I mean, granted, that's not always the case. It doesn't always happen to that degree. But, I mean, we shouldn't accept something like Venom because Venom is just terrible garbage. And I think people were just wanting Venom for so long and they felt incredibly unsatisfied by the Venom that everybody got in Spider-Man 3. He, he didn't feel like Venom for most people. And it, that's the thing is he didn't feel like Venom in any way, shape or form for most people. So no one latched to it. And like I said, you get the, the vaguest hint of a, a, a real characterization of Venom in this Venom movie and everybody jumps on it instead of demanding something better, demanding something that we deserve at this point. If it's going to make the amount of money that it did, which if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head worldwide, I think it was at 800 million. Wow. Maybe even higher. Oh yeah, it made stupid money. And it it that's that movie didn't deserve that. Like it has it's nothing against the cast or anything like that. It's it has everything to do with the director and the writers and the producers. They gave us a shit movie and everybody just jumped on it because like I said, it it was a hint of venom. So everybody latched onto it. And it's it's like I said, it's a phenomenon. I mean, how the fuck in, in what universe like is Aquaman better than Venom? Like, how the fuck do we get an Aquaman movie and a Venom movie in the same fucking year? And Aquaman is better. <laughs> it's fucking Aquaman. The biggest goddamn joke in fucking comic books as far as major characters go. And that movie was hands down, just empirically, like scientifically proven better than fucking Venom. How? <laughs> How the fuck does that happen? You have Jason Momoa, who has never carried a movie on his own ever. Anytime anybody has given him credit for a performance, it's when he's a side character. Everybody loves him as Khal Drago in Game of Thrones. But what is Khal Drago? He's a side character. Everybody, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this, too. I, I like him and I liked him in Game of Thrones. I liked him in Justice League. I thought he was one of the better things in Justice League was him as Aquaman. But once again, a side character to other people. And I was legitimately worried about Aquaman. And Aquaman is in no way, shape or form great. It's good. It's a very good superhero movie. I think it is an infinitely better movie than Aquaman deserves. But it's a good movie. And Jason Momoa knocked it out of the fucking park. And then you have Venom, where you've got Tom fucking Hardy. Yeah. A guy that has stolen the show from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, from Leonardo DiCaprio, from numerous fucking Mm -hmm. actors. The guy is a fucking powerhouse. Yeah. And you make him fucking boring. You have Michelle Williams, one of the better actresses of our generation. And anybody could have played that character. My fucking cat sitting on the table next to me could have played that same role (laughs) with about as much charisma as Michelle Williams did. And I don't think that that's a knock on Michelle Williams. 
I think that's a knock on the fucking characterization that that script had. And then you had fucking Riz Ahmed, one of my favorite new actors out there. The guy just fucking floored me in the night of. I mean, he shares scenes in that HBO miniseries with Michael K. Williams, who is one of my all-time favorite actors, plays Omar on the Wire if you're just fucking uneducated. The guy is amazing. And Riz Ahmed is never overshadowed by him at all. You've got Michael K. Williams playing essentially a criminal king of a prison opposite of him. And in Riz Ahmed does not let himself be overshadowed. And you have him play the most boring character that has ever been created in the history of characters. I'm talking about all of literature, of <laughs> animations, video games, movies, anything. Anything where the, the, the word character is involved in it, he is the most boring version of that ever. They ruin him somehow. And then people are going to tell me that it's a great movie. Side note, apparently Riz Ahmed is playing Hamlet in the new Hamlet movie they're doing, which will probably be really good. So, Oh, yeah. It's going to be fantastic, I bet. I bet he's going to Hamlet cool. the fuck out of that movie. <laughs> he'll, he'll redeem himself from Venom. So <laughs> He doesn't need to redeem himself. He got a paycheck. That's all that really matters, I guess. Shoot, the um, movie is a success. So they probably walked away going, well, huh, what do you know? I mean, I, that's the thing. At this point, I've, I've seen enough movies. I'm never going to blame an actor at this point for getting a fucking paycheck. I mean, we all do it. I do it. Everybody does it. We all get paychecks. You can't always do what you love. Sometimes you got to make some money. You know, when that car note's coming up and you got to pay it, you got to fucking make a paycheck. I get it. And I bet he got a really fucking hefty ass paycheck with this movie. I get it. And plus, whenever, you know, the director comes to you and the producers come to you and they're like, hey, Riz. We've got Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams in a movie version of Venom. You know you want to come be in this movie. <laughs> sure, I would say yes without reading that script. Who the fuck wouldn't? I mean, not everybody's Daniel Day-Lewis where they're going to be sitting there being a cobbler in their free fucking time. I mean, yeah, I would jump on that fucking role in a heartbeat too if I was him. That sounds like a fucking role like of a lifetime. I mean, maybe not of a lifetime, but I mean, that sounds like that would be a fucking fun ass movie to be a part of. And I just and maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's what we lost on screen. Maybe in between scenes, that movie was just a blast of fucking fun to make. Maybe everybody was just sitting around being best friends, having the best time of their fucking lives in between filming scene after scene of a dumpster fire. <laughs> The, the, I mean, the, there had to have been some laughs on set. I mean, the the scene where Tom Hardy is in the fish tank with the crabs and he's eating the lobster, like that was that was could, apparently improv too. Yeah, like how could anybody behind the scenes have been watching that and have not been laughing at him, like as he oh, was doing it? I, dude, I bet it was a laugh riot behind the scenes. And that's the thing is that, and that's a testament to how good of actors these people are because they are so good at acting that you can't tell that they had fun making the movie when you watch it. <laughs> Just all of the joy is taken away from them when the camera is on and it shows, it shows. I mean, maybe, maybe the fucking craft table had just some fucking delectable ass food. I don't know. There has to be something redeeming about that movie behind the scenes other than the paychecks, something, but I mean, it's 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 one of those. This one I will never understand. Other than what I said, the 
syndrome slash phenomenon that I came up with that I feel like fits every time with this. And we're going to have more examples of this later, too. Um, but we'll we'll jump into another one that we'll, we'll keep it in the same tone, though, of a movie that fans love, but critics hated. And it's a very recent one that you two have seen that I haven't, which is the movie Glass. And we have gone into great lengths uh, already talking about this movie. But like real quick, do you see any correlation between Glass and Venom that would maybe like help you understand or would help you see why people liked Glass? And just like they would have liked Venom. And uh, we'll start with you, Heather. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also that element with this movie of the anticipation of it. You know, when people found out last year, two years ago, when Split was made, that there was this secret sequel, you know, that combines Unbreakable and Split with this other movie. I think people just got really excited about that. I did. I thought that was a really cool concept and not something that I saw coming. So... As a fan, I am actually one of the people that enjoyed this movie. Um, I am a little bit in the minority on that um, from <laughs> from the podcast we did on that. But yeah, I mean, there's the anticipation of it. And I think that that does add into it a little bit because you're like, this is exciting. It's going to be so good. Like, I can't wait to see what they're going to do with it. So I think that is also the same with how Venom was. People were just excited. The fanboy thing, you know, the phenomenon of it. So I think that's a similar thing with this too, because they knew it was like a third movie to to finish up and round out these other two that came out. So I think that that was definitely a big part of it. I know for me it was. Um, I mean, I think it's also a thing with the casting just being so good, like it was with Venom. You know, you got you've got James McAvoy and Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis and Sarah Paulson. You've got like a really like solid cast of people and you're like oh this has got to be good especially with the the storyline of it you know because i mean a lot of times you know especially in the romantic comedy or the comedy genre they put a ton of like really famous people together and it's never really a good movie but usually if you have more of a serious or dramatic type of movie like that it works better and you know so you see this all-star cast of you know great acting and you're just like well, of course. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But um, and then there are those people that are just diehard fans of M. Night Shyamalan. So all of those elements add in to the excitement that people watching it got from it. Um, I personally think that it was a pretty well-developed story until the very end of it. So for me, that's why I liked it. I think it did kind of tie in the two stories in a way that you wouldn't expect, but I think that it fell flat at the end. Um, I think that they went in a direction I would not have gone with that movie, but you know, it just overall, I honestly, I just think it was a really well done movie. So I can actually speak to the side of it where, you know, the fans liked it and the critics didn't critics. Um, I mean, I, I guess maybe they, I don't know. Maybe they're just they're comparing it to the prior two movies or they had a different expectation of what the movie was going to be or um, something. But for whatever reason, critics really just did not like this movie. So I don't know. Justin, what about you? 
Well, with glass and and yeah, we did our pretty much extended uh podcast episode in regards to this. So if you haven't checked that out, please do because I thought it was a pretty good mix of opinions on that as far as this movie is concerned. And, and yes, like uh both of you are saying in regards to this movie, this is another one of those movies that is a real surprise the discrepancy between fans and critics. But this one I do feel that this is a little bit easier for me to understand as far as why fans might have favored this over Venom. This one's a little bit easier to understand because uh, to to some of the points that uh, Heather was making, the cast in this movie is very, very good. And, And you've got some very good acting performances in this film, especially when you consider Sarah Paulson and you consider James McAvoy, their performances in this are very, very, very good. So this is one of those movies where as you're watching it and it's setting things up and you're seeing uh, these characters do their thing on screen, I can definitely see how somebody could enjoy this. And I feel like this is just really one of those movies where you either liked or hated it, depending on how you interpreted the ending. I really feel that this is kind of one of those kinds of films where if you got to the end of the movie and you accepted the ending and what it gave you and you liked it, you liked the idea that was presented, you liked how M. Night Shyamalan sort of hinted that this was an origin story, that this was the start of another universe. And even though all of our main characters had died, that there was this bigger picture that he was trying to show you. And that makes all of their deaths significant. That makes all of the pieces that he put together and and then showcased you this, this picture at the end, it makes it all worth it. And I feel like if you were a person that walked out of that film and appreciated that, then I could totally see how you love this film. But if you were somebody who didn't feel that way, and unfortunately for this film, I was somebody on the other side of that. I had, I felt like I had more questions than answers. I felt like certain things just kind of didn't add up. I felt like there were certain character inconsistencies and I didn't feel like I got all of my questions answered. So I was on the other side of that. And that's why really I kind of fell towards the negative when it came to Glass. But this is just really one of those where anytime you got a movie that's structured like this, where the ending is going to be this impactful ending uh, based on clues, or in this case, lack of clues provided, or based on a plot twist, I feel like everything then rides on that ending. And I feel like critics, you know, or at least it's been my experience just reading critic reviews and things like that. Critics have a tendency to want certain things to add up. They they have a tendency to sometimes spot details that I think uh, 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 an, an average fan isn't as adept to seeing sometimes. Sometimes they, because they watch so many movies, because they've read books about watching movies, written books themselves about watching movies, and some of them have even read scripts, some of them even write, direct, and produce their own films. 
there's a tendency for them to sometimes see things, interpret things that an audience member is just not going to see or factor in or interpret. So I feel like maybe that might explain the discrepancy here. I think that to a lot of critics, they just got to the end of this and they were like, wait a second, you didn't develop this. You didn't develop that. This didn't make any sense. That didn't make any sense. I didn't like it. I needed more questions answered, et cetera, et cetera. But I think sometimes it's not always great to be that way. I think that on the other side of it, the fans just accepted the narrative that Shyamalan gave them. They accepted, okay, these are the uh, these are the variables. And then when you get to the end and you see what Shyamalan is trying to say, much like Venom, it feels a lot different from other comic book movies and other comic book films that have been presented to us. And sometimes different is interpreted as good. I mean, sometimes something that feels fresh, that feels like you haven't seen it before, is interpreted as something enjoyable and you tend to like it. And if you look at a lot of the fan reviews of Glass, I see a lot of that. It was fresh. It was different. It was a showcase of new ideas. It was um, it, it was different from any of these Marvel movies or any of these things that we've already seen. So I guess that's kind of the caveat with what something that you said earlier, Sterling, when you said that we're kind of in this renaissance of superhero movies. I wonder, especially with movies like Glass and Venom, are we seeing kind of a pattern develop where people have gotten so many, there's been so many Marvel movies and we're used to this formula and we're used to this kind of epic feeling when we watch these movies and we're used to these movies being more serious and having more serious actors and having more serious undertones and things like that. Are we coming into a place with these movies where now audiences are starting to just look for something different, something that feels out of the status quo, something that feels like it's not trying to accomplish the same things as those movies are trying to accomplish. And maybe that might explain why fans are going this direction. Yeah, well, I can see that. In, in, in kind of a response to that, though, Justin, I mean... <sighs> Honestly, at this point, if people really are as tired of Marvel movies and, and that formula that Marvel has just refined the fuck out of, then quit fucking watching them. Like, dear <laughs> God, like, they make billions of fucking dollars. People are seeing them more than once. Like, movies don't make a billion dollars if people aren't re-watching it. Like, if people want Marvel movies to change, and if they really want this other shit, then you have to fucking stop watching Marvel movies. Disney, especially more than anybody, understands what it means when a movie doesn't make money. Disney is not one of those studios that gives movies chances over and over again. Like, they're not going to have a franchise, and they're like, well, we think this movie's going to make $500 million. And if it makes $200, they're not going to go, well, it's still made enough. We'll give it another shot. Disney doesn't do that shit. Other studios do. Disney doesn't. You have to get damn close to what Disney thinks you're going to make. For them to actually do it again. Because otherwise they don't see it as worth it. And if if people want more superhero movies like Venom and Glass and all this other shit, then fucking quit watching Marvel movies. Don't have... And like, you know, and all, it's... I mean, it really is that simple. I, I know that sounds hard. 
like it sounds like like what is like you know one person going to change and all this other stuff but enough enough people really feel that way for enough people really legitimately feel that way for venom to make 800 like million dollars plus once again that means multiple like multiple people had to see it more than once for that to happen if that really is the case and they really want that then don't watch a marvel movie wait till it comes out on hbo wait for something else like that's going to be the biggest thing to get Marvel to change shit. If you really want these superhero movies to change, then quit fucking watching Marvel movies because Marvel is not going to give a single fuck about what any other movie does. Even if they're successful, Marvel gives zero fucks about what Venom actually did as far as making a movie went. Marvel gives zero fucks about what Aquaman did as far as its movie structure. Marvel gives a fuck about how much Captain Marvel makes. That's it. They do not care about a single other damn thing. They care about how much money Captain Marvel is going to make. They care about how much money Avengers Endgame is going to make. And they know if they stick to their formula, probably going to make some money. That's all that matters. Like, oh, oh yeah. And I definitely agree with that. But I'm, but, but I guess I'm more or less saying, well, not saying that you didn't understand or anything like that, but just this made me think of another point. As you were explaining that, but it's almost like kind of like how movies, how you have movies and then you have a kind of all of these categories and subcategories like how, you know, you have your drama films and stuff like that. And for the and and then you got your action movies and stuff like that. But regardless of what the genre is, all of those movies kind of carry certain attitudes certain stigmas about them like like you know like most films when you're talking about awards time and oscars and film awards and stuff like that there is a certain type of movie that people look at critics look at fans look at just everybody looks at and if it's got certain things that you know we we respect those movies we tend to respect those movies in a different way than we do action movies like those movies with heavy drama, powerhouse acting, stuff like that. We tend to look at those. They're on a higher pedestal most of the time to people, but there's still room for these other movies that may not have as much powerhouse acting, may not have as good a plots, may not have as good a cinematography story structure. There is still room for movies like that to continue to make money. And it's almost like comic book movies are kind of becoming its own thing to where you kind of have something similar. Like to me, a Marvel movie is kind of like when you go to an expensive, uh, to me, the Marvel movies are like the expensive restaurants of these movies. Like you go, you're, you're, you you know, when you go, it's anticipated. It's going to probably have the best written story. It's going to probably have the best story structure. It's going to have a little bit more of a serious tone. Things are taken a little bit more seriously, and it's going to have epic consequences. And there's just going to be a lot more at stake when you go and watch those types of movies. But something like Venom to me is kind of like the McDonald's of these movies, right? Like it's junk, but it's quick. (laughs) you know it's quick there's not a lot to digest there's it's it's fun it tasted kind of good you got tom hardy you got people that you like in here you like these people you like their performances it tastes okay 
and it was quick. It went down okay, and all right, I'm not hungry right now. You know, you probably will be in a few more hours, but this is fine for what it is right now. You know, cheap entertainment. So it's almost like, I guess, is there room for both is what I'm trying to say. Is it so wrong that something like a Venom comes out at the same time in the same year that something like Infinity War, something like Black Panther or something like Spider-Man Spider-Verse comes out? Well, I'm going to touch on a couple of points. I really do think it's funny that you brought up uh, Venom being like McDonald's. I'm actually going to argue the Marvel Universe is like McDonald's. And the reason why Hmm. I say that is for the most part, every McDonald's in this country is the same. And that is because one thing that McDonald's has, and people are going to argue and nitpick this statement, but it's a very much a very a core principle of McDonald's and how they operate themselves is consistency. They want you to go to McDonald's in like Hoboken and they essentially want that to be the same as the ho- like the McDonald's and fucking Big Spring. Hmm. They want consistency. That's true. They want you to not necessarily know what you want, like know what you're going to get, but they want you to like if you want McDonald's, they want you to have that feeling that you can go to any McDonald's and get that feeling. And that's the thing is un- I know a lot of people talk down about uh, McDonald's, and this is why I think Marvel. Uh, the MCU is like McDonald's is a lot of people talk shit about McDonald's, but at the same time, what does like 99% of everybody go through at some point that craving for McDonald's, those fries though, you just want some Mickey D's man. That's it. You just want some Mickey D's. You just want that, that, that feeling you get when you eat McDonald's and, and everybody knows on this podcast, everybody knows I am the world's biggest Whataburger fan. I will always be a Whataburger fan, but when it comes down to it, man, sometimes you just want some Mickey D's. You want that quarter pounder with cheese. You want those chicken nuggets. Those 10 piece nugget, that, baby. You, you want those French fries. You know, you, you want that original taste Coca-Cola from their fountain that somehow magically tastes different than Coke from any other fountain in this fucking universe. That's true. You want that. Why is that? You know, <laughs> no man, idea, but it's amazing. It's probably because it's mixed with raw McDonald jizz. Who fucking knows? It's delicious. It's it's like my little brother. Like he loves Mc, McDonald's. Everybody's like, oh well, yeah, he's a little kid. He's six. Why wouldn't he love McDonald's? Yeah, but he loves McDonald's because he loves their sweet tea. Yes, I mean, also true. McDonald's McDonald's has something for everybody that just hits that perfect note with them, like a Marvel movie does. And to me, a movie like Venom is like Taco Bell, where a lot of people eat it. A lot of people like it. A lot of people just, you know, concede to it and eat that, eat there because it's the only place open at two o'clock in the morning where they're at. A lot of people give in to it. A lot of people, you know, they, they, you know, they want their Taco Bell. But when it comes down to it, it's still fucking garbage. Like no one really expects any sort of quality or any real joy out of a Taco Bell. <laughs> but they still eat it. They still, you know, they still even want it. It's, it's, it, it's to me, that's the difference. Is McDonald's, for all intents and purposes, is a well-oiled machine of fast food of that engine, and you know, and it, and it's got those classics. You know, that's why Marvel can get away with having like an Academy Award-winning, you know, actors and actresses like a Brie Larson, you know, and and a Robert Downey Jr. and all these people. You know, it's it's like it's just like McDonald's has the Big Mac. The Big Mac is a classic fucking burger. It doesn't matter how you skew it or anything like that. The Big Mac is a fucking classic. And it's it's the same thing with Marvel movies. They still have those classic notes to them. 
you know, that just set them apart from everybody else. And it's, you know, like I said, people still eat Taco Bell. Taco Bell still makes a ton of money. You know, mm-hmm. those, it's those right tacos, down the street. It's on the same street, most likely, as a McDonald's. Yeah, those tacos, it's right there. It's down the way. Those tacos might not be real meat, but fuck it. They're 98 cents or whatever the fuck they are. You know, <laughs> like, you know, if you're spending, you know, a dollar on a taco, don't expect real meat. Come on. It's the same thing. Like, it's, a, it's the same thing with Venom. If you're going to have Venom without Spider-Man, well, that's what you get. Just like if you paid a dollar for a taco, you might not be getting real shit. I think this is my favorite, like, analogy that you've ever done. <laughs> but it's also just I mean, made me really hungry. So. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. I, I'm, not, I'm seriously craving some fucking McDonald's right now. Right. See? And that's the thing is like, you know, and it's it's like we've talked about a couple of times on, on, on trailer slayers and stuff like that. I don't get I don't get excited by Marvel trailers anymore. And it's. Also, like, this is the same reason I don't get excited about going to McDonald's. I'm never like, holy fuck, I'm going to get me some Mickey D's. So excited. Never like that. But I sure as fuck do it all the time. Just like, <laughs> I'm going to be watching some of these MCU movies all the time. It's a fact of life to, at this point. You know, it's, it is what it is at this point. It's just, it's, it's ingrained in us. And it, and that's why I think there is that difference with that is it's, there is a place in the world for both a Mickey D's and a Taco Bell. You know, there really is. It's just, what are you really going to expect out of the two? You know, people don't necessarily have high expectations of a McDonald's, but they have more like, I don't want to say emotional attachment, but there there's more warm feelings with the McDonald's than there ever will be with a Taco Bell. You know, like, I mean, people have memories of growing up as a kid and just getting a Happy Meal every once in a while and getting that toy being all kinds of happy and just feeling like the fucking king of the world, feeling like you're Leonardo DiCaprio at the end of the fucking Titanic with Kate Winslet when you're getting that fucking happy meal. No one in the history of ever has felt that way about Taco Bell. <laughs> That's true. And then you got all the iconic characters. Yeah, maybe, maybe I see your point. You've got, I mean, I still know them. I mean, I haven't cared about those characters since I was a kid, but I know who they are. I know who the Hamburglar is. I know who, who Grimace, Ronald McDonald is. Grimace. Guys. Yep, the fry guys. The fry guys. I mean, yeah. It's it's every little thing like that, dude. It's and the, and that's why I feel like Marvel isn't isn't like that that, you know, expensive restaurant. It's it's McDonald's. It's that machine that fucking goes. And it doesn't give a fuck about what anybody else is doing. McDonald's could fucking care less what Burger King ever does. When Burger King for so long was like, man, we're flame broiled. We got that real flame. McDonald's is all microwaved and shit. Who the fuck is still worth money? McDonald's. I mean, it really is that simple. I mean, McDonald's doesn't do what everybody else does. McDonald's does what it does. And that's kind of what the Marvel Universe does. Marvel doesn't give a fuck about DC. Marvel doesn't give a fuck about Glass. Marvel doesn't give a fuck about any of these other movies that are like superhero movies coming out. Marvel's going to do what it does. And then whenever it feels like what it's doing isn't effective, it changes. And that's obvious. Like for everybody to say that the, mo- the Marvel movies we're getting now are the same as the ones we were getting during phase one when Iron Man came out are just full of shit. Like they are drastically different movies. That formula has changed. Yes, it has. And but it's still it's the formula's changed, but it never stopped feeling like it was Marvel, though. And that's that's what I'm talking about with McDonald's is 
you you know their formulas and processes and all that other shit are different than they were in the fucking like 50s and 60s when that shit was started but it still feels like mcdonald's you know yeah and i, I mean can, and i get your analogy i totally get it because even when you look at some of the other comic book fans that have come out like the dc eu movies for example doesn't that kind of feel like a burger king or something kind of like that dude it's it's burger the dc eu movies started off as burger king just trying to be the anti mcdonald's and just producing garbage after garbage i do feel like they've slowly started transitioning into a wendy's though <laughs> they're getting better you took the words <laughs> out of my mouth i was like so they're wendy's now because they're getting a little better get, i was just gonna they're say getting that to wendy's now where dude wendy's is some good shit I love me some Wendy's, but they're not as iconic as a McDonald's, no matter how much they try. You know, that that junior bacon cheeseburger is amazing. That spicy chicken sandwich is one of my favorite fast food sandwiches of all time. Boy, that is great. That spicy, that spicy chicken will never be as iconic as a Big Mac, though. That junior bacon cheeseburger will never surpass a quarter pounder with cheese. You know, it's that simple, though. You know, it's... It's nothing against Wendy's. Like I said, I, I I do like what DC has been doing lately. I think they have been learning some lessons and they're try they're legitimately trying to do better. You know, I thought Wonder Woman was a vast step in the right direction. Uh I thought I thought Justice League was a step back, but that was kind of a little too close to Wonder Woman for it to really for there to be a real sway in that. But I liked some of the elements I saw in Justice League more than I saw in Batman versus Superman. And then when Aquaman came out, it's like I said, it's not a great movie, but it's 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 a damn good movie. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it's 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 definitely a step in the right direction. You know, I mean, maybe you want to call DC like Wendy's when we were growing up, because I remember like Wendy's when I was a kid was not that good, except for the Frosties. The Frosties were the only thing that was like Wendy's was good at back in the day, and now they're good. Maybe that. So I mean, Frosties are essentially Wonder Woman in this scenario. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll say that because I mean, for a Gal while, yep, was, Wonder Woman was the only good movie. That's the one that people well, would reference. I'm that, loving these was, analogies, by the way. It's so great. And on top of that, <laughs> it was one of the only good things in Batman versus Superman. I mean, I love I love Ben Affleck as Batman. I thought he was a great Batman, but his it, it was one of the worst written Batman roles ever. I thought he did an excellent job with what he was given, but it was just terribly written. And I think Wonder Woman's little part in that movie was the least ineptly written and was the most well-executed version of a weak role. And it's kind of like the Frosty. It's the one shining beacon, you know, because <laughs> it's just chocolate soft serve. I mean, you really shouldn't be able to fuck up chocolate soft serve. <laughs> just like you shouldn't be able to fuck up 15 minutes in a movie. So I'll take it. I mean, then what is Burger King? I guess Burger King is just the X-Men movies. They've had a couple of hits here and there, but it's yeah. just ultimately garbage. Yeah, that might be it. Burger King is probably like the X-Men because people like them. People hate them. There are a few in there that are good and some that are really good, you know, might even make Man. the top 20. But then there are some that are like super bottom tier. I could see that. It's, I could see that. It's like a Whopper. A Whopper, like, I guess the good X-Men movies are just kind of the good versions of the Whopper that happen every once in a while. Yeah. Like, because a Whopper is not a bad burger. It's just I'm never craving a Whopper. Just like I'm never craving an X-Men movie. But every once in a while, you get a good one. 
you yeah. know dude uh burger king back in the day had the chicken whopper chicken whopper was delicious mm-hmm. it was a delicious fucking sandwich and i mean i guess that'd be your like x-men future class yeah would be that <laughs> You know, the one thing I like about Burger King over McDonald's is they have onion rings. I, I, I think the, the onion rings are fine for being Burger King onion rings. I guess that'd be a days of future past, you know, our Burger King onion rings. You know, fuck whatever we were going to talk about for this podcast. We are just going to now equate <laughs> nothing but movies to fast food franchises. Oh, my. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, but I, I do think the points it come across fun, at this though, point. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Is, and, and. And that's why I was saying, like, with that, with that, is they all have their place in it. It's just what really is ultimately going to be better at it, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, you know, all these other movies kind of feel like they're having gimmicks. You know, like Venom had a kind of a gimmicky feel to it, kind of like a Dorito shell taco, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and, and McDonald's doesn't do that. McDonald's doesn't do gimmicks at this point, really. You know what I mean? They don't do gimmicks. They just kind of do their own shit, which is what Marvel does. Marvel doesn't do gimmicks anymore. So, I mean, it's to me, that's that's why I feel that way about it. And I just thought it was really funny that you were equating, you know, a Venom to a, to a McDonald's uh, when to me that that just screamed Marvel. That's entirely what I was thinking the entire time. Even before you said that, I had that in my mind. Uh, yeah. As soon as I, you, I totally as soon as get you equated like, Marvel to that fancy restaurant. Yeah. Like once you explained it that way, I was like, okay. Cool. Yeah, I can totally get with that because I was thinking good food versus junk food, but I see where you were going and I like it better. And you know, and I'm not and I'm not trying to say anything about it, too, either. But like, you know, because when it comes to movies, though, like comic book movies are still kind of considered the junk food of movies. Yeah, you know, that's true. It's And I mean, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way in any way, shape or form, because if anybody knows me, like fast food and junk foods, that's my shit. I mean, don't get me wrong. Every once in a while, I want to go to Lowry's and get me a nice section of prime rib. That's delicious. But nine times out of 10, my ass is probably eating some fast food. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm and i completely satisfied with that being my lot in life. Um, <laughs> just eating that all the time. I'm completely copacetic with that and kind of refuse to change it. So, you know, I don't mean that as a knock against comic book movies in the slightest. That's my shit. You know, I love it. You know. We do need to do an entire podcast episode on this, though, because I want to get into like what we would think sci-fi movies, what type of food chains that would be like and like by and by that, I mean, like type of food. If we've considered comic book movies, the fast food, you know, you've got your dramas are going to be your like stereotypically your classy movies. We need to figure out what horror movies are. We need to figure out what sci-fi movies are, fantasy movies, all of them. We need to break all this down into types of restaurants. Wow. What is Chick Fil A? <laughs> Chick Fil A is the greatest showman, <laughs> and we will get into that later. To, okay, we will touch on that later. Not necessarily because of Chick Fil A, but because of the greatest showman. Um, and I know a lot of people are very happy about that because I know a lot of people out there probably like Chick Fil A and the Greatest Showman. I don't mean that in a good way in any way, shape, or form. I just want to preface that now. I very much meant that as an insult, and we will get into that later. But we do need to get into the second part of these four main movies, though, when we're talking about movies that critics gave good scores to, but fans ultimately did not like. Um, I am going to start with one we did a podcast on, just because I feel like there's a little bit less to say about this versus the other movie, um, with Hereditary. Now, we were kind of all over the board on Hereditary. 
Um, Justin, you historically did like that film. Uh, Heather was a little lukewarm towards it. Um, and I just did not like it. And um, I mean, I'll start this one off with that. I'm completely with fans on this movie uh, versus critics thing, because I think this is one of those movies where critics felt like they liked it because they like to me, the in general movie critic, it kind of felt like they were like having that one up moment where they're like, oh, I get this. Other people won't get this. I like it, though, and I got it. Therefore, I'm superior to other people, which is that like stereotypical thing that a lot of people have about movie critics that I don't necessarily always agree with. Oh, but I agree with the fuck out of that when it comes to hereditary, because that's all I felt with every review I read of hereditary by a movie critic felt that way to me. Like they were felt like they were on something that they had found something that the normal little plebeian person wouldn't necessarily enjoy or understand. And that's why they're better than normal people, because they like that movie. And I know I did comment that you liked that movie, Jess, and I'm not necessarily saying that's why you did like this movie. But that's the in general tone of the reviews I got, especially when people are like equating it to fucking like exorcist and stuff like that as this like once in a generation horror movie. And when it came down to it, it to me, it was like a once in a fucking month, just normal fucking horror movie that tends to be garbage. You know, it didn't even do what most horror films do for me that I don't like where it's, they fall into too many horror movie tropes. That's why I don't like a lot of horror movies is because they just it's trope after trope after bullshit after bullshit after same old shit after same old shit and not necessarily doing anything to grow or further the genre in any way, shape or form. And where you have hereditary where it felt like it was trying to do some of that, but not actually caring enough to do it. It just wanted the acknowledgement for doing it. It wanted the acknowledgement for being a smart horror film. It wanted the acknowledgement of for being a well-acted horror film. It wanted the acknowledgement of being this truly psychological and scary movie without actually committing to any of that. Other than the acting, I can't say anything about the acting. That Everybody in that movie acted phenomenally. Um, and, I, and I won't ever try to disparage that because those people acted their asses off. And... It's just everything about it was like it wanted the recognition for doing something without actually doing it because it didn't change shit. It didn't it wasn't scarier than anything else. It wasn't, you know, a more thought provoking movie. It wasn't a more psychologically terrifying movie than other shit I've seen. It just wanted to be called that without actually doing it. And I think critics just played directly into it kind of in the same way uh, I feel about was it three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, to me, it was like an, it was a, it was a critic pleaser movie. It was an Oscar bait movie. I thought I had phenomenal acting and the story just ultimately didn't make any sense and didn't matter. And it, it, it just was one of those movies that just critics seem to love. It's, it's that formula. It's like that Marvel formula for comic book movies. It's that formula of fucking movie that critics love that just ultimately makes no sense to me. And hereditary is that three billboards was that a, a slight callback to a movie from from years and years ago that was kind of the same way was uh, Babel uh, with Brad Pitt, um, which was one of those movies that had a lot of uh, really good actors in it. And it had really good acting, but ultimately the story was just a bunch of nonsensical bullshit that just felt like it was dealing with heavy topics, which I guess that's the other thing that like three billboards and hereditary did is they felt like they were dealing with heavy topics and they were ultimately just incredibly superficial, but they felt like they were dealing with heavy topics. So like movie critics just eat that shit up. Um, but it's the same type of thing. Like critics loved Babel and I thought it was just utter boring garbage. And 
to me, it's the same thing. It's I'm not, I'm kind of going tangically, but I'm trying to like equate that all into that formula. That that's why hereditary didn't resonate with me at all, and I, it's why I feel like it didn't resonate with with other fans. Is the fact that it's just to me, it was all superficial. It's 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 like that person that's doing an internet internet argument, just using a billion fucking big words that, to show you they read this as like a thesaurus or a dictionary. But like whenever like they go on this long, huge, like flowing, wordy ass fucking sentence when all they really have to say is fuck you. Like just say that then. It's the internet. Just say fuck you. <laughs> you don't have to go on this huge fucking diatribe and saying all this like nine paragraphs of some shit. And I know that's kind of ironic that I'm saying that because I'm a huge fucking rambler. But it's like when it boils down to it, just say fuck you. Say what you mean then. And I don't feel like hereditary does that. It just tries to disguise this and with these flourishes and these you know, these little things here and there. And it, it never actually gets to the point, which I know a lot of people are listening to me going, well, yeah, do the same fucking thing, get to the point. And I guess that's it. That like my, this huge ramble I just did right now is essentially what the movie hereditary was just a <laughs> bunch of fucking words and all this other <laughs> shit that took forever to get to the point. And when it did, it's probably incredibly unsatisfying, but <laughs> I feel like that's the best way to actually show it. And I feel like I nailed it because. It, it has to be the same thing. I felt like I just did so much and I probably could have just summed it up with just saying it was shitty. The fans are right. And there we go. So, Justin, hereditary with you. What do you think was the disconnect with fans and critics on that one? Okay. Well, um, just doing research on this and everything, it doesn't seem like there is as big of a discrepancy with um, fans versus critics. I mean, th th there definitely is one. but. I mean, just looking at it from the perspective of Rotten Tomatoes, 80-something percent from critics, 60-something percent from fans, which 60, over 60 percent on Rotten Tomatoes is still positive. So I feel like this is one of those where there's a discrepancy, but even fans are sort of leaning upward more than they are downward with this movie. So just to kind of, and I think that this is kind of in, in a similar class with Glass, where as far as this movie is all about how you interpret, how you interpret it at the end. Did you like the journey that you went on? Did you like all the pieces that it put together? And was the ending satisfying enough for you to justify all the little things that Hereditary did on its journey. I think a lot of whether or not you like or hate it is going to ride on that. Now, for my money, I can definitely understand why critics like this, because kind of what Sterling talked about, there is a lot of critic eye candy in this film. First of all, the film is beautifully shot. There are a lot of great scenes that have good cinematography. There are a lot of good um, scenes that pan and there's a lot of great tracking shots. There's a lot of good imagery in this film, like with the dollhouses that um, Tony Collette's character was making and then how it would transition from that into live action. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful stuff going on in this movie. And Tony Collette's performance Honestly, at the beginning of the year, I believe that it was one of, and, and probably still is, when you look at all the movies over the course of 2018, it, it was one of the better performances that year that I saw. 
Definitely. I thought that she really brought it in this movie. And you know that a lot of critics are suckers for acting performances. They love when an actor really gets to strut their stuff. So I could see how critics may have gravitated to this. I can see how a critic may have looked at this and gone, man, there's a lot of beautiful imagery. There's some scary imagery. There's a lot of great transitions and there's a lot of good shots in this. And Tony Collette was absolutely killing it. And there were some other great acting performances by the supporting cast as well. So I could easily see how this could appeal to a critic. Also, the story does require you to pick up on little clues that are left at certain points in the movie. It requires you to look because there's something in the background that you might have missed, or there's something that a character said that may come back later, or there are some things that it, some seeds that it plants, and then it tries to showcase those things a little bit later. So anybody who likes a movie that tries to give you subtle clues and this and that and the other, they're going to like this. There's a lot of things that would draw a critic to this film. Now, on the flip side of that, I can see how some fans didn't like this because I do feel like that this film was unjustifiably hyped. When I first heard that this movie was coming out, the the kind of compliments that I heard and the hype that was built was immense. And I don't know how everyone else felt, but I definitely felt that way because I was hearing things like this is the scariest movie since The Exorcist, one of the scariest, scariest movies in recent years, one of the greatest horror movies of the modern era. There were a lot of great compliments thrown around prior to this movie's release. And the thing is, is that we had just um, come away from seeing A Quiet Place, which was very critically acclaimed. It was scary. It was a fun ride. It was quick and it was fast. And it did a lot of meaningful things in that movie. And it was emotional. And it was just a very, very entertaining, great, great horror film. So then when you hear the hype for this, you come in with such, such high expectations. And then what you get is not really anything like the way that it was initially hyped. So I could understand people coming out of this movie go, wait a second, that was not The Exorcist. That is not the greatest horror movie of all time. That is not anything that anybody said it is. It like it works better as a psychological thriller more than it does a horror movie. So I can definitely understand how that those things might have rubbed audiences the wrong way. Yeah, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, to a degree, um, with the exception of like, to me, the biggest difference between like a quiet place and hereditary was the pacing. I yes. thought, uh, I thought a quiet place was paced incredibly well and had it, it did so in a way that built tension. And to me, like hereditary was just, it was slow played, but I never felt like I got the reward. Like, mm-hmm. like the movie alien, the movie, the original alien movie is just so slow played until a certain point and then it picks up you know uh the original uh the the movie the descent same way very slow played until it gets to that climax point then it picks up where hereditary was like slow played until not the climax but the very end like it wasn't even the climax where it, it finally picked up pace it was the very end of that movie but i mean it was so slow played that i still feel like i'm watching that movie like 
it's like been damn near like what almost a year i guess like 10 months and i still feel like i'm watching hereditary it was so fucking slow <laughs> yeah there's a definitely a huge difference in pacing and i think that was like the biggest factor is that people i mean a quiet place was so frantically paced and it was fun and there was a lot of tension and it came really quickly and it didn't spend a lot of time going slow. And when it did, it was done with a lot of purpose. There was just little here and there. And since the characters had to be quiet, there wasn't a lot of dialogue to sink into or anything like that. There, you know, a lot of times you were, they were sign language and you were reading, but it made, but it was so well done and how it paced out the events that would happen. And everything just seemed way more excitable. This uh, hereditary is the polar opposite of that. Like you said, it's very much a slow burn. It's methodical and it, and, and it does take a lot of collecting context clues, putting clues together, things like that. To really get it and understand it. And even at the end, when you do, you're ju it's just like, okay, well, you know, the movie, it, your enjoyment depends on how much you like that at the end. And I think w when people saw A Quiet Place, you came out so satisfied and you came out with so much hype. You would just, and that movie was pretty well reviewed too before it came out. So I think when going into this one, people were kind of expecting a similar experience. And when you get here, you get kind of knocked on the floor with how slow this is. And I just don't think people were really ready for that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess that's fair. Cause like I said, and, and like you commented too, the, the marketing for this movie was God awful. Like they really should not have hyped it as much as they should have. I mean, they were trying to, I think in a lot of ways, I think they got scared of A Quiet Place. I think A Quiet Place kind of surprised them with what it was. And they were trying to hype it to be better than that when they necessarily shouldn't have. Uh, I think in any way, shape or form, I think they should have just kind of tried to play it as it was its own movie instead of trying to do this across generational fucking movie comparison to say it really is like that was going to be our generation's exorcist. And that's just incredibly unfair for any movie to have that pressure. I mean, it's it's just something that shouldn't be done. Um, but Heather, what about with you with uh, Hereditary? Like, since you were kind of in the middle of me and Justin, you didn't hate it as much as I did, but you didn't necessarily like it as much as Justin did. And so you're more kind of in the middle. Like, so like what with what with you is the disconnect between uh, critics and fans on that one? I mean, I do think you make a good point about, I don't know, I think that a lot of critics in general who are reviewing these movies, you know, they're highbrow, it's in a highbrow uh, horror film, you know, and so that's why, you know, it just makes them feel like, oh, I'm... I'm smart because I get this movie. So therefore it's a really great horror film, you know, like that kind of thing about it. But I will, <laughs> I will say, <laughs> I will say that I, I liked the movie more than I did not like the movie. Um, I don't think that I would give it as high of a score, obviously as the, the critics did, but I would give it a little bit higher than what, you know, most of the um, audience reviews were. But I think you know, I, I feel like, um, maybe it was like a hype letdown thing, you know, because it just from the get go, it was just, 
you like you were saying, like they marketed it as if it was just going to be the greatest horror film of our generation. And I think that it just hyped up so many people right away that when it didn't add up or it was slower paced than they thought, or the ending was a completely different thing than they thought it was going to be, it just, it didn't line up with what they expected. So sort of in the sense of the others that we talked about, like with Glass and um, what was the other one we talked about? Um, uh, Venom. <laughs> Sorry. Um, just like with those, it's like, oh, there's the anticipation and there's the hype of it. But for whatever reason, with these, uh, with this movie particularly, it just, it didn't hit the mark like it did with the others. Like you would expect that those other movies would also just not do well <laughs> and a movie like this would do well so it just kind of flip-flopped which was interesting but maybe because um i don't know i i feel like the disconnect is just because it is a very specific type of horror film it's like it depends on what you're looking for in a horror film i would say i mean some people just like the slasher film some people want the plot twist some people want you know this or that when they're doing a horror film um, and I, I feel like because this movie did try to do so much with it that it, it did not land how it should have completely. There were a lot of really great moments in it. And if I'm being honest, um, a lot of very specific scenes from this movie stand out to me above almost any other horror films that I've seen. And I say for that, you know, I will, I will definitely give it credit for that. Um, like we said, nobody's really arguing how phenomenal the acting was in this movie at all. But, um, for me, I think the reason that I would say, um, it should maybe get a little bit higher than what most of the audience is giving it is because it's very memorable. I think, I mean, it might be slow paced and a little bit boring for some people, but for me, I feel like it's very memorable. You watch this movie and you see that car scene or you see the classroom scene or that ending scene. You're not going to forget that ever. So I feel like due to that, there are elements in it that how they made the movie. It's like they said, you know, highbrow, whatever, but they did their job in making you remember that movie. So for me, at least that's what I think. Um, but I just feel like it, it is kind of one of those where you really have to sit and think and piece together things that you don't know you need to be looking for. And I think that that can be frustrating for an audience if they're like, you're not telling me what I need to look for. So I'm not going to get this movie the way you want me to. I know that's how I felt when I left it. I was like, how did I know I should pay attention to that? You know, you, you focused on it for two minutes of this whole movie and you expect that I'm going to remember that and put that together at the end. And I think that that was more of the frustrating and the disconnect that the audience had for it. Um, so for me, I feel like that's more maybe what it is. They're just the, the expectation of what they heard it was and the reality of like, wait, if this is supposed to be the greatest of our generation, I'm missing something because you didn't give me enough to go off of to figure that out. You know, so I feel like that's more what the disconnect is with it, if that makes sense. I mean, I well, I just want to disagree with Heather for just one second. If anybody's surprised that I'm disagreeing with something on this, um, when you talk about the scenes being memorable, like I do agree with you. But at the same time, I don't want to remember those scenes because I just don't care if that makes any sense. Like, it's kind of like a weird ear, like, like, was it like with the, uh, an earworm? 
Isn't that what they call those songs that get stuck in your head and you just wish you could get them out of your head, but you can't? Mm-hmm. I guess I kind of feel the, that way with those scenes. Like, yeah, they do stick in your head, but I just don't care. So in a weird way, like the context for them is ruined. Like in my head, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to remember them, you know, like the spoiler alert, the little girl's head getting bashed in like her off or whatever with, you know, on the telephone pole or him doing that weird creepy pose thing in the classroom. Like you said, like, uh, or, you know, the scenes at the end with Tony Collette, you know, doing all those weird things and being and the guy being on fire and all that other stuff. Like, yeah, they're all memorable, but the context for them just doesn't matter to me. So like. In a way, I'm kind of asking myself, like, why does it even matter that I remember those scenes? You know? Yeah, I get that. I mean, as an overall, it's not those aren't scenes that particularly make you say this is what makes this whole movie the best movie ever. I just think that they have very specific scenes that were great as a whole. You're right. I think that it's like, well, yeah, I remember it. But what is that going to do me? when I'm thinking about the whole of the movie. So I do understand that point of it. Um, but then again, like I know that you really just super disliked this movie. <laughs> and like I said, like I liked it more than I disliked it. Um, I definitely had my issues with it, but I think that it's, it's one of those that I'm glad that I did see it. Like I, I would have, I would have preferred seeing it and being a little bit like thrown off by it than not see it at all. I think it was, I, w- I don't know if I'd say it was worth the hype of it, but I do think that it was worth investing at least in once so that you can just kind of, because there are, and we talked about this in our podcast, there are a lot of things about it on, this is how you make a movie. Like there, there's some really key things on, they make the movie really well, beautifully shot, beautifully acted. There are elements of things that you can learn from this movie, but like you said, they did not market it correctly. And again, that is probably also part of the disconnect because, you know, you can, I would honestly, like we were saying, market it as a psychological thriller or um, even a, a drama with horror elements more so than it being a horror film because the horror elements of it really didn't come into play until that very end part, you know, as much. So, yeah, I think that it was not marketed correctly for the audience to be engaged the way that they should have been. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Like as a whole, it's not like, oh, these are key scenes that maybe like, this is why this movie is the greatest horror movie of all time. But it, it is scenes that I will say from horror movies that I've seen, they are scenes that are, they stick out in my mind above most others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I totally get what you're saying with that, Heather. And the only thing I was going to add was that it's just kind of one of those things where I feel like it's got too much going for it, for it to be garbage. You know, it's to me that that's how I kind of feel like too much was done right for it to not be any good, but did it, did it live up to the hype? No, it didn't. And I do think like what you said, it's because I think that especially fans, when you think horror, you just want certain things. You, you know, you, you typically, I feel like when it comes to fans, they like their horror movies a certain way. They're, they're a little simpler. They're a little easier to follow. There's a lot, it's a lot more frantically paced. There's going to be more jump scares. There's going to be more, you know, when, when people think horror, I just feel like they have 
an idea of what they're looking for. And when you look at something like A Quiet Place, it satisfies a lot of those horror monster elements. It satisfies more of those than something like Hereditary, which is kind of which is a little more out there. It's a little more slow paced. It's a little more methodical. And there's it's more about the acting and things like that. So I feel like that's part of it, too. And since this was advertised as this horror masterpiece, you set people up to think um, a certain way. You set people up to expect certain things. So when they didn't get what they were expecting, sometimes it is difficult. And I've been there. I'm guilty of it myself. Sometimes it is difficult to suddenly just turn off your expectations and go, okay, I'm just going to follow this for what it is. And I'm not going to compare it to the exorcist and whatever expectation I had, this is definitely not it. So let me just buckle up and enjoy the ride. That's hard to do. And sometimes you've already lost a lot of those people that have come into the audience in the first 10 minutes, you could lose those people because they're like, what? Nothing has happened yet. Or why are we still explaining this? Or man, or, or some people look at their watch, man, I'm 30 minutes in this movie and I still don't really feel like anything has happened. So, and those were some of the complaints that I heard when I looked at fan reviews for this movie and stuff like that. So I totally get where people are coming from. But I think this also needs to be said too. I do feel that right now we do kind of live in a society that also is a little more pessimistic. I think that the political climate is pessimistic right now. I think that people, the, the, there really is kind, we are kind of like a generation of trolls right now. And they're just, and I feel, and I do honestly feel that way. And I do feel like sometimes, especially with these movies, there, especially when a movie comes in with a whole lot of hype. And everybody's saying, oh, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh, there's the greatest thing. I do feel that in our society, as of right now, that there is a tendency to just want to not like things because so many people like it. Or when you see something positive there, there are these people and we know them. We see them on Facebook. We see them all over social media. There are just these people, man that want to find some fault with something before they really take it all in or digest it all, or they want to find the flaws in something before they even see it. I think another, I don't know if you guys discussed this when you guys did the trailer slayers the other day, but I think the Aladdin trailer is a good example of that, where you just have these people that are like, the movie is going to be bad because of the way that Will Smith looked. He's, it's going to be bad. There's just <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is going to be bad because that's because of the way Will Smith looked. No other basis for that. It is just going to be bad because I didn't like the way he looked as the genie. So I don't know, man. Like, I think sometimes movies are victims of that. Like, like people go in and they're like, well, the critics said that this was bad. But maybe they kind of go in like, man, I, I, I want to like this because of all the bad reviews I saw. Or I want to hate this because all of these guys think 
I, I think that there are, and I'm not saying it's any of you guys. You guys are pretty much we're we're pretty much a tight knit group, and all of you guys are all capable of normally explaining what you like or dislike. But I was wondering about that, and that's why I brought it up. Do you feel that sometimes there's kind of this outside agenda, or there seems to be kind of this tendency to not want something to be good or not like something just because of you want to go against a trend that maybe has been set before the movie has come out? Well, I I do agree with that, especially with, you know, like uh, I brought up earlier with just the in general backlash when it comes to Marvel. Um, you, you have so many people talk about how, uh, you know, Marvel movies don't do anything different. Marvel movies are this, Marvel movies are that. Um, and, you know, it's it's to me, a lot of it just feels contrarian uh, in a lot of ways. Um, there's one movie reviewer, and I can't remember his name, but he was like the one guy, the one movie reviewer that uh, broke uh, Get Out's uh, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but he very much does this a lot. Uh, somehow he's, you know, a, a critic for, on that Rotten Tomatoes considers, but he actually um, doesn't have a set publication because a lot of places end up dropping him because he's always just contrarian. Like, no matter what. Uh, So, he actually finds it very hard at this point to actually get his movie reviews uh, published because of this. Um, Mm, That's interesting. And I do think that that very much is a big trend with all this, though. That you you do have that. Like, I I love going through Rotten Tomatoes when you'll have a movie at like 99% or 98%. And I don't read any of the positive reviews. I want to find that like one or two people. They gave it the rotten one. And then I'll read those. And then I start going and reading the, you know, the people that gave it positive reviews. And it's always funny because it's always, always, they always feel contrarian at that point. When the when the movie is at 98 or 99%, those negative ones always just feel contrarian. Like it was like Into the Spider-Verse. Everybody's talking about how amazing that movie is and how awesome the animation is and all this other stuff. And then you get to like the negative review and he's like, the animation was garbage and very childish. Yeah. You know, like every other review talks about how amazing the animation is. Mm-hmm. And of course, the one negative review is the asshole. Just like this animation was bullshit. And like, especially into the <laughs> Spider-Verse, the guy was like, uh, was like, yeah, I saw it at a press event. And whenever I started watching the movie, I even like left the theater and went and found a Sony representative and was like, hey, this movie looks like it's wrong. And the guy was like, no, it's animated that way. And I was like, really? You're like, dude, fuck off. <laughs> like, that's the pretentious bullshit that nobody gives a fuck about for your shitty ass movie reviews. I mean, I kind of get it. I fell into the trap with that, too, because my ass sure as fuck clicked that link and went to his website and read his review and shit. And I was like, fuck, I just gave that guy a little <laughs> bit of money by giving him web traffic. Fuck, I fell into that. And that's exactly all that motherfucker wanted. You know, he didn't want to actually, you know, he did. He gave zero fucks about Into the Spider-Verse. He he waited until like, you know, 30 people wrote their reviews. And he's like, I know exactly what to unwrite about this movie. You know, that's exactly what that motherfucker was thinking. And I think a lot of that goes into what you were saying, though, Justin, that, yeah, a lot of people do just for the sake of being contrarian, love doing that. Especially nowadays, because it really is a quick way to get to get noticed real fast mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, 
uh, I won't say like names or anything like that, but like it's when we posted this question on Facebook, like asking like, what are movies that like critics really loved that, you know, you didn't like and vice versa and all this other stuff. And it's always those crazy ones that like draw your attention to them very fast. Uh, I won't say his name because we might talk about it later, but there was somebody that specifically, um, he talked about how he liked the first Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. And I get that. Totally on board with that. I think that movie's fucking fantastic. One of the best superhero movies out there. Total sleeper hit when it comes to, to superhero movies. And then in the same breath, shit's on the the Christian Bale, uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. And specifically calls out Heath Ledger's Joker performance as the reason why that trilogy is garbage. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that has to be uh, considered with that. I think that has to be um, right up there with just kind of a contrarian point of view. Um, I know Heather did ask him what he meant by that and all this other stuff. And he talked about how uh, that wasn't really the Joker and the best Joker is Mark Hamill and all he did. He did that with his voice. I mean, that's fine and all. I mean, the guy's fucking wrong. I mean, it's really that simple. He's wrong. Uh, and I, I mean, I'm even going to say like even in a non-opinion way to say that that wasn't the Joker is just unequivocally wrong. Um, I mean, that might not be the Joker of that particular Batman story arc you read that one time when you decided you were a Joker fan and not reading or keeping up with any of these other fucking stories that's happened. <laughs> but to say that that wasn't a characterization of the Joker, it just shows a deep misunderstanding of Batman comics or the Joker in general. I mean, that very much was a personification of the Joker from the comic books. I mean, there's so many storylines and story arcs that they took little elements of, you know, it might not have been one specific cohesive Joker from a storyline, but it very much was the Joker in, in characterization. I mean, you can't tell me that there wasn't elements of the Joker from no man's land or the Joker from the killing joke or, you know, uh, the Joker from all-star uh, Batman and uh, Robin, the boy wonder. Uh, there were elements of the Joker um, from Arkham Asylum, the graphic novel written by Grant Morrison. There are elements and and just so much of the Joker in that character that it blows my mind. I mean, shit, there's even fucking uh, versions of the Joker um, from uh, Batman, the animated series where Mark Hamill wasn't the joke or was the Joker. I mean, I think a lot of reasons why some people say that is because he didn't laugh all the time. He wasn't doing that crazy mm -hmm. maniacal fucking laugh all the time. Like no matter what, and wasn't making stupid little fucking jokes all the time, which is a fine portrayal of the Joker. I understand why they do that version of the Joker uh, a, a lot of times, because a lot of times you're getting that version of the Joker in a cartoon or uh, in a movie or something like that. I get why you get that just punny jokes, crazy laughing Joker. I get that. That's fine. But to say that, that joy out of chaos, serial killer, uh, manipulative, yeah, just batshit fucking insane person, no pun, pun intended, version of the Joker isn't the Joker, just means you haven't read more than like nine Batman comics in your life. My thing with it is like, I feel like in a sense, he kind of, I wouldn't, maybe not like reinvented what the Joker was, but kind of put that new standard because even if you you think about now any batman movies that come out or any movies that come out with the joker in it who are they comparing it to 
You know, they're always like, oh, nobody can ever be as good as Heath Ledger was at this. Like, that's the first person that they're comparing the Joker performances to. So I feel like that in itself gives it a right to be like, yeah, it's a pretty great portrayal of Joker, you know? And I mean, on, and on I, top of that, the guy, I mean, he, he died. <laughs> he he died basically for that role. I mean, what he put himself through to become that character, what he did to himself to sort of get into this mindset of this character and everything like that. I mean, you know, you could argue that he gave his life for that role. Like, I mean, that that role killed him. I mean, for, in a lot of people's minds, that was the role that drove him to what eventually happened. So, I mean, and you you can't say he didn't transform into him because you think about it, too. It's like if you didn't know that that was Heath Ledger under all that makeup, like, would you know that it was Heath Ledger? No, absolutely not. There's no way. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I once again, I, I hate that I'm having to say this right here. I do slightly disagree with you, Heather, just on the sheer fact of to me, he didn't really like reinvent the Joker or set a new standard or anything like that. He did as far as. uh a characterization of the Joker uh, portrayed in film or TV or something like that. I do agree with you on that point of it. But like, like I was saying to me, I've seen that Joker before, like his version of the Joker in that movie was nothing new for me. I've seen it. I've, 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 I've felt that in the comics and all this other stuff. Like that's that part of it was not new. Um, But I, when you're going from like Cesar Romero and, uh, Mark Hamill and Jack Nicholson and their versions of the Joker that were the those are the the main ones that have been portrayed on movies and TV before that. I mean, when you're looking at them and then you see Heath Ledger's Joker, it really is like a night and day thing. You know, those were the you know, he was the was it the clown prince of crime, you know, and those uh, those other versions of it. He's just a little criminal would make some jokes and would laugh and dress like a clown. He's a little criminal. Mm-hmm. Like this one was like a sadistic force of nature, which to me is what the Joker should be. Yeah. It's always when the Joker is the most effective is when he's a force of fucking nature. You know, I mean, one of my favorite stories about the making of Dark Knight is that scene where the Joker invades that party that Bruce Wayne's throwing for Harvey Dent. Um, and when the Joker walks in, Alfred's one of the first people there by the door. And if you watch the movie, the Joker walks in and Alfred kind of stands there like petrified, just staring at him. And as the story goes, is there was actually a line of dialogue that Michael Caine was supposed to deliver at that point. And as it turns out with the way they filmed things, that was actually the first time Michael Caine had seen Heath Ledger in the makeup. Oh, wow. And he was so taken aback by Heath Ledger, like in the makeup and actually walking in and doing his performance that he forgot his line. Oh, wow. But Heath Ledger just kind of kept going. And they and that's what they did. They just kept going and they kept doing the scene. And they were like, well, fuck, no, that works better. Like, whatever line they have, I don't even know what the line was. But they were like, no, we don't need that line. Like, Michael Caine just kind of standing there petrified, staring at this man, became the line. And, like, to me, that kind of shows what he, like, what you were saying, Heather, with that, what Heath Ledger became uh, in that role as the Joker. You know, um, it's... And so to me, like I was saying with what you brought up, Justin, is is, is, is to me that just feels contrarian. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that this guy doesn't actually believe that. I honestly do. I think he he truly feels that way. And I'm not trying to take that away from him. But to me, it's a combination of what you were saying. I think just the idea of in general of just feeling 
contrarian, like the need to feel contrarian when it comes to something like that, I think is a, is a more prevalent thing nowadays. It definitely you know? is because people just can't wait to disagree, whether it's justified or not. In a lot of cases, I feel like sometimes people just can't wait to not agree with the status quo or not agree with what everybody's saying or they see a positive post. Well, I'm going to post something negative or something funny or I'm not going to like this movie because there's a political agenda or it seems like these are the views of a liberal and I don't like it or these are the views of a conservative and I don't like it. I don't know. I just feel like I'm finding more and more of that. And sometimes it's just not even based on seeing the movie. It's based on a teaser or just a preview. But there are just all of these just finite opinions about something. And it's like, how could you possibly have such a strong opinion before seeing it? Like, I don't get that. So No, and I I completely agree with you on that because like I, I haven't listened to uh Devin and Heather doing the trailer slayers yet when they did talk about Aladdin. But going back to what you were saying too with that, with so many people just feverishly shitting on Will Smith uh as the genie and stuff like that. And so many people just automatically saying, Well, Robin Williams, my genie, Robin Williams this, Robin Williams that. I mean, maybe this is just feeding into what you were saying though, also about being contrarian, but in all honesty, even whenever the movie first came out and stuff like that, I never really fucking liked Robin Williams as the genie. So I am fucking excited as shit to see Will Smith as the genie because I hope I get a different characterization of it because I did not like the genie in Aladdin. I've never liked the genie in Aladdin and I am so glad I'm getting something new. And shit, maybe that is the contrarian in me with that. Like, maybe I really am playing into what you uh, are talking about right now. But like, it, it really is like I like every time that was just like, you know, people were saying like, oh, you know, they weren't even willing to even give Will Smith a chance. And of like all people, too, it's Will Smith. I thought Will Smith was the one person that was immune to that shit. Like, I thought Will me Smith too, was always yeah. the person that got chances. Like, when did Will Smith stop being the guy that people gave the benefit of the doubt to? No, like nobody watched safe Bad anymore, Boys man. Too. The game has changed, dude. I watched I watched Bad Boys 2. In no way, shape, or form should I have watched Bad Boys 2, but I did. Because it had Will Smith. You give the man the benefit of the doubt. I thought that's what we did. I mean, I watched Suicide Squad. Should I have watched Suicide Squad? Nope. Was he it one of the better things shit. about it? Probably. Well, yes and no. It depends yeah. on how you look at that. Not necessarily as an acting performance, because I don't think he was really acting per se. He was kind of just Will Smithing the fuck around. Well, and see, like, I think he was just kind of being Will Smith all over the fucking screen. And just as a little. But at the same time, I, I'm not going to lie. I kind of miss that. I kind of miss the days when Will Smith just kind of Will Smithed all over the fucking place. So and to me, it was a breath of fresh air. And see, for me, like just as a little bit of a, you know, preview into what we talked about with the trailer slayers. My thing is. I feel like what they're doing with Will Smith as the genie is it's basically just him being Will Smith, you know, like it's not it's not much of a like he's trying to play a different character necessarily. It's pretty much just him being him. And while that's always wonderful, because if anyone loves Will Smith, it's me. But I do think that just for the role of the genie and just I don't know, I think that 
I would like to see him do like the animated things and the voice change and even just change his voice a little bit to where it seems like he's playing a character instead of just himself for this particular role. When he is Will Smith and things, it's always great. But just for this particular thing, I feel like if it could just be a little bit less of just him being him and more of that genie character, I would, I would, I would like it a little bit better. Although I understand why he was chosen for this role. You know, because he, I think that he could definitely pull it off, but there are just little elements from the trailer that we saw that was just like, mm, it could, you know, hopefully the he'll give more than what we saw in that trailer because the trailer and him in it wasn't, it wasn't like the best teaser of Will Smith as a genie, to be honest. So I don't know, but I digress. I mean, no, no. I mean, I, I, I get that. I, and I guess that's why I'm looking forward to him being the genie. Is because it will just be him Will Smithing around because that's what I didn't like about Robin Williams Genie. I understand it's a cartoon and all this other stuff, but the fact that like he was making pop culture references now or about what was at the time now, uh, you know, and um, essentially, you know, centuries ago, uh, you know, uh, Middle East, like it, it, it always felt weird to me. It always felt awkward. And like, I didn't like the voices. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't like, you know, him running around with like Mickey Mouse ears, you know, in that movie. Um, and so I guess that's why I'm looking forward to Will Smith being the genie is because it will be a slightly out of character thing for, you know, a being of the time period in which the movie set, but it won't feel as out of place. It won't feel as forced as just batshit bonkers insane for no fucking reason other than you know you got robin williams to do it so you have robin williams do what robin williams does and 90 billion other things i mean yeah to me the genie wasn't a character the genie was just a exercise in changing your voice and animators doing weird shit yeah and to be fair i think that it's I, I feel like it's more of just how the genie looks in the movie as opposed to it being Will Smith being the genie <laughs> from what I could tell. But something we can all talk about later, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely end yeah. up doing an episode on that. Um, real quick, though, let's go into the last one of the, the four main ones we were going to talk about before we do some of the little quick side things with this. Um, you know, not that we've done any quick side things so far. We've done a lot of long side things. Um, but the last one of the main four is... Uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, critics love this movie, uh, and then just fans chat all over this fucking movie left and right. Um, and it, it, that blows my mind because I'm, I'm actually up there with uh, critics on this one because uh, I, I'm not the world's biggest Star Wars fan. I'm, I mean, I like the original movies. I, uh, I guess I'm a very traditional Star Wars fan. I like the original cuts. N I'm kind of indifferent towards the special editions. And then I absolutely hated the prequels. I guess I'm a stereotypical Star Wars fan when it comes to a lot of that stuff. Um, but I, I thought Force Awakens was fine. And I thought this one took some chances. Not all, They didn't always pay off, but I thought it took chances that Star Wars movies aren't necessarily known for taking. And I thought when the the chances hit, I thought they hit really fucking well. And the misses, while they were annoying, I don't think they missed enough to detract from how hard they did they hit when they did hit i mean the characterizations of ray and kylo ren are fucking fantastic to me i love the dynamic they have i love the characterizations of of, of both those characters um i i loved the story arc they did with luke especially with how they when they ultimately killed him off because of it uh 
I thought that was a great way to end Luke's overall story arc for the the, the franchise. Uh, I thought it was a great way, you know, for him to be reintroduced into the franchise before coming back out of it. I mean, you know, some of these other characters, like I said, the the Poe Dameron and the Finn stuff, that was a little that that was definitely on the weak side to me with uh, mm-hmm. what's her name, Rose. I, I I thought all that was on the weak side of things. Um, but I mean the the hits though with Kylo Ren and Ray just ultimately carried that movie no matter what though. I mean, they could have done a lot of other worse shit and I probably wouldn't have cared just because of how well Ray and Kylo Ren carried that movie. It's and that's to me the way it should be. It's 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 the Kylo Ren Ray show right now. This is the Kylo Ren Ray trilogy. And if that was ever in any doubt, it that doubt was ended in this movie. That that's the way it is and that's the way it should be. Because there's just not a scene in that movie where I didn't like what they were doing with that. Even though, I mean, there is a lot of flack for that weird uh, shirtless scene with Kylo Ren where he's just randomly, you know, force talking to, to Ray and he's just shirtless. All right, yeah, that was a little weird. But at the same time, I don't know why I still liked it. I mean, it could be that Adam Driver is a very physically fit man and it was at least aesthetically pleasing, <laughs> I guess. But it still very much worked. Um, I just, I never understood why people hated it. I guess it's, I mean, to me, I guess the biggest thing with it, especially with Star Trek fans, is Star Trek fans aren't known for being the most flexible of fans. You know, they're not known, you know, they want what they want. Not necessarily what is best for the franchise, not necessarily what is, you know, best for everything overall, not what is, you know, best for anything. They want what they want, and that's it. And they don't care what you give them. You know, they could want 1A, and you give them 1B, and they will just flip their shit and never accept it, even though you practically gave them the same thing. They'll just still shit all over it. And I've never understood that. Because to me, the Star Wars franchise has never been good enough to warrant that type of thing. Uh, What about you, Justin? Well, um, I I can definitely agree with you there. As far as siding with the critics, I'm in the same boat. I really like The Last Jedi. And like you said, it's really the characterizations, a lot of the things that they do with the character journeys in this movie is really what I think sets it apart from what a lot of fans, uh, about how a lot of fans felt about it. And I guess I'm kind of one of those middle of the road uh, Star Wars fans. I, I I like the original trilogy. I, I don't I don't know if I love it. I mean, love may is is a strong word, but I've always liked it. I've always liked it. Always respected it. Always understood why it's at the upper echelon of sci-fi um, action films and things like that. I always understood its relevance. Always understood its significance, and I totally get why it has so many fans and i mean there's so much literature about star wars there's been so much um so many films based on star wars even films based on star wars fandom i mean no matter where you look and then everybody had emotions when the um when the uh episode when the prequels the prequel trilogy came out and how that went down and the controversy behind those films and everything. Everybody had a feeling about George Lucas or felt some sort of way about how he produced those movies. So, and I've always been kind of involved in that. I've always kept up with that and things like that. So, I mean, I'm definitely not a 
just a bandwagon fan or somebody who's just now coming in and wondering what all the fuss is about. I get what the fuss is about. It's something that I've always known about, always respected the franchise, always followed in things like that, even played some of the video games. Um, but with this movie, um, I, I enjoyed all of the chances that it took. I like the fact that it got rid of a lot of the characters that, um, that do eventually have to go from this franchise. I like that. And I don't think it did it in any, it got rid of anybody in any disrespectful ways. I thought that it was very respectable to the characters and the people that um were in the film. I thought that Luke was done a lot of justice, man. I thought that his show at the end, especially with that force hologram and everything that happened at the end of the movie with Kylo Ren and everything, I really thought that that was a great display of his talent and his powers with the force. I didn't see that as a letdown or see that as a moment where he should have done more or whatever um some Star Wars fans feel he should have done. I liked what was done here. I liked the layers that were added to this character. I liked how this character went through some things and with Kylo and trying to get him to be the next great Jedi and how that fell apart and everything like that. I loved all of that. And I loved what it did to Luke. I love how cynical he became even after all of that that happened. And it just almost kind of spelled out to me that this battle of light and dark, this battle with the dark side never truly ends for them. You know, in some way, shape, form of another, you're always fighting it. Even when you defeat an empire and become the hero of the galaxy, this that fight is not over. You know, you it's still you're still fighting it even with the next generation of people who are going to take up those mantles. So I just really liked what they did with Luke. I thought that was one of the favorite parts of it. And I thought that Mark Hamill got to really flex his acting muscles in this more so than the other movies. And I'd love to get y'all's opinion of that. But I thought that this was some of the best Luke Skywalker acting that Mark Hamill has gotten to do because there was just so much more to this character. There were so many emotions that this character was feeling at this time. So I really thought Mark Hamill shined in this. I thought that he was one of the standout performers in this. Um, and of course, not, not to mirror too long for what you said, but yes, Kylo Ren and Ray and their dynamic and what they're going through and this struggle between what is right and what is wrong. Should I be light? Should I be dark? How should I control the force or how, how, what, what is my role in all of this and trying to find an identity? I thought all of that was just very fitting for where they were in the story. And I know that the next chapters coming up, whenever this story culminates, we're going to get them at their best and we're going to understand completely their motivations, why they're doing certain things. And I think that it's just going to make that final confrontation, whatever it is, mean that much more because we are getting to see the journey of these two characters on both sides of the spectrum. So that's what I'm enjoying about Star Wars the most. And like you said, are, does this movie have flaws? Yes. 
but kind of what I was similar to what I was saying about hereditary. There's too much right here. There's too many things going right with this film. It has way too much going for it for it to be considered absolute garbage or absolute trash, like what some fans <laughs> strongly feel about this movie. But I was surprised that whenever we put this out there, we put these feeler posts out there on Facebook and we asked people to chime in. I don't know if you guys noticed on my on my comment section, but a lot of people chimed in defending The Last Jedi. I mean, there were quite a few comments and there were quite a few people who said, well, I actually like the movie and I like the direction that it's going. And it made me excited for what's to come. So who knows? I wonder if you ask the same people now, now that the movie has resonated and people have been able to see it a few times and it's kind of weighed on the mind. I wonder if the overall opinion of this movie has changed because I was actually quite surprised to see how many people on our comment section came to bat for this film. So who knows? Maybe there's a little bit more of a positive reception out there than I think. But I definitely think that just to comment on a fan's perspective or fan's perspective who hated it, I do really think that they had all of these expectations in their head. They had all of these expectations of what they thought this next chapter was going to be, what Luke was going to do, how he was going to interact with Ray, what this meant about Luke coming back. And they were just expecting Luke to be this badass savior that he's always been. And I think they were disappointed to find out that that's not what these directors and these writers have planned because it's not about him anymore. It can't be his show. He can't be the guy that he once was because now we've got to make way for the new generation. It's 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 a new story. And we've got these new characters and they want us to invest in them. And we can't do that if we're too worried about what Luke is doing. And I think that and, and I'm saying that's the only element, but I think it's elements like that that rubbed fans the wrong way. And I think that was uh, reasons like that are part of the reasons for the backlash that this film got on initial release. What about you, Heather? Um, well, I can safely say, um, unfortunately, I have not seen this movie. I think when these newer set of Star Wars movies were coming out, I just kind of got behind on seeing them and I just never caught up on them. So I actually didn't see this particular movie, but I can imagine that, again, it's one of those expectations versus reality things. And certainly, like you were saying earlier, where Star Wars fans are really hardcore fans and they're not the most flexible. And so I think if it was a ton of, you know, hardcore Star Wars fans of all the movies, all the comics, everything, that if it wasn't exactly how it should have been in their heads or exactly how it was supposed to play out, they weren't going to be very forgiving of that in a sense. So I'm going to chalk it up to that's probably why there was such a disconnect between the the critic versus audience scores. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm definitely not going to disagree with that because that, that's what I said. So mm -hmm. see, I don't disagree with everything. I'm a very <laughs> agreeable person when it comes. Mm, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> oh no. Um, but just to go off like some of uh, what Justin was saying on Facebook, 
Um, I mean, we did put this out to other, you know, out on Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, and just kind of some of the comments did kind of surprise me with, uh, especially when they brought up some of the other movies, you know, like there was somebody that brought up The Hangover as a movie that was kind of critically acclaimed and just in generally uh, acclaimed. And, you know, he didn't like that. Um, I mean, and I kind of get that one. I mean, I, I liked it when I saw it, but I've only seen it once. I've had zero desire to ever watch yeah, it again. Yeah, same. Same for me. And so I guess that's why I kind of understand where that guy's coming from with it. Is it's fine as a once-off, but I never, never watched it again. Um, one one I do specifically want to call out, uh, other than the one I did, uh, kind of already with the whole Batman and, and uh, Daredevil thing, was uh, somebody brought up a Kung Pao Enter the Fist. And that movie was critically just panned. And I fucking love that movie. <laughs> I think it's fucking sneaky good. I mean, it's it's one of those movies that has zero business being good. If anybody doesn't know the <laughs> general premise of this movie, just an old school Kung uh, Fu movie. But the reason or what it actually is, though, is it's a guy uh, essentially edited, edited himself into an actual old school Kung Fu movie um, and just kind of created a new story with it that's just bonkers. I mean, the guy has a tongue that has a mouth on it. And it makes him like the chosen one. Um, he fights with gopher nunchucks. He fights a cow at one point. Um, they give the villain this weird high-pitched voice. Um, but fuck, if that is not just a fucking funny movie, though. Um, it's just one of those movies that's... It's kind of what you were talking about earlier, which is why I kind of uh, take offense to when people say that, oh, they just want to watch a movie that they don't have to think about and all this other stuff. Yeah, we all do. And that doesn't mean that we have to like shit. Cause I mean, like I love Kung Pao and it's definitely one of those movies you can't think about while you're watching it. Cause if you have just a thought while you watch that movie, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> so you have to turn off your head like 100%. No thoughts, no anything. You just have to kind of let it happen. Um, and it's, and so I get that, I get that feeling. It's just I don't like that as a crutch. And I think that's what happens anytime, you know, fans disagree with critics or, you know, if somebody likes a movie and you don't and you're talking about it, you know, and you if you especially if you like call it dumb or stupid or like you don't like this, like with the story or the characterizations are bad or something like that. That's always like the automatic go to response is, well, I just wanted to watch something I didn't want to think about. Yeah, that that statement has become a crutch. And I think that's why I don't like that statement. I understand the feeling. I understand the the practice. I understand doing it. You know, we all do that with movies and we all want to do that with movies, at least, you know, some movies. It's just I don't like it when that's the default way of trying to justify why you liked it over something else. Because I think, like I said, it's a crutch. It's when you just don't have anything else to say or you don't know what to say or anything like that. I mean, I think a very simple version of that is like just saying, fuck it. I don't know. I liked it. I think that's just a better way of saying that without it being a crutch. I mean, because who can really fight that? Who can fight somebody just saying, yeah, well, maybe you're right. I liked it because I mean, there's no way to argue against that, you know, whereas I, I do feel like there actually is room to argue uh, when somebody says, oh, I just wanted to turn my mind off. You know, I actually still feel like that's not, you know, there's still ways to pick that apart. I don't feel like there is a way uh, of just saying I didn't like it, you know, or I did like it or anything like that. I think that's a lot harder uh, of an argument to counter because it's 100% opinion based. 
uh, with that. And it's, and it, it shows, uh, the personal aspect of it versus, you know, kind of the in general point of a movie type of thing. Um, is there any other examples of anything, uh, that somebody said that popped out to you in any way, shape or form one way or another, you know, maybe it's something you liked that they didn't like or something that, you know, you liked that critics liked or something like that, of what the, you know, cinefans brought up, uh, Heather, we'll start with you. All right, Justin, go. Well, one that really uh, stood out to me was we did have somebody on uh, when I shared the uh, question and I just kind of proposed this to the Facebook audience. We did have a guy chime in and he said that he absolutely hated La La Land. Um, And he said that it was praised by critics, but. I say that it fails on every level. It fails as a musical. It fails as a drama and it fails as being entertaining. And it was super awful. And I was just like, Oh, wow. Like that is the first time I've heard from anyone that, um, that La La Land was bad. I mean, I, I just haven't really heard that. I mean, that movie was decorated with awards. It has a lot of critical acclaim, like he said. And generally, most people that I know that have seen that really liked it. And I know that it's a musical. So there are certain people who are like, I hate musicals. But this person didn't strike me as that because he says it fails as a musical, which just the way he worded his sentence, it just made me feel like, okay, he's seen he watches musicals like it didn't sound like the quote of a person who doesn't watch musicals so obviously they walked into something and this was not their cup of tea but that was definitely a film that i really enjoyed and i mean ryan gosling and emma stone are just two of the best right now and just seeing them together in that movie i thought that they were great I thought it had a lot of great musical numbers. It was beautifully shot. And even at the end, they did some things with the ending. I thought the ending resonated and it was powerful. So I'm totally in disagreement with this guy. But that was definitely uh, one of the comments that we got that sort of just made me scratch my head a little bit. Heather, what about you? Yeah, no, I agree with you on that, Justin. I, I loved that movie. I thought it was great. Um, one of them that stood out to me that I saw someone made a comment about was the Ocean 12 movie. <laughs> and for me, um, and this person commented saying that, you know, it pretty much, you know, critics did not like it. It was not well received, but he loved it for some reason. And I am totally on board with that because for me, for whatever reason, Ocean's 12 is my favorite of that series of movies. <laughs> so I just, I don't understand why more people don't like it. Like, I feel like it's very clever. It's very witty. I feel like it's very in the ocean's element of things. And I feel like it's, you know, I like it, I think, a little bit better than the first one because you kind of already know these guys, you know, that come together in the first movie and you're kind of just seeing more of their personalities in the second one in Ocean's 12. And I love that. And I think that that's what made it so good. Just seeing their, um, their dynamics of them playing off of each other was just so funny to me. So I totally agree. I think that Ocean's 12 is a great movie. Like I know most people did not like it or a lot of critics didn't at least, but I love it. I think it's great. So now, uh, just a couple more examples of some of these things, though. Uh, so, Jastin, what's a movie? Sorry, my cat decided he wanted to fall off a table right when I started that. All right. So what movie 
did critics like that fans didn't like that you agree with the critics? What's an example of that, Justin? So critics liked well, it. Well, well, not necessarily that. What's a movie that you agree with critics over in general fans? So fans could like it or not like it, but as long as the critic reception was the opposite of it, I guess was the better way. Well, when's the time you agreed with critics over fans? Took me a while, but I got to the actually what I was asking on that. Okay. So something where, okay, I agree with the critics over the fans. Man, let me think. Let me go backwards. The other way is easier. <laughs> where I, I definitely have one where I agreed with fans. Um, but looking at this the other way, I mean, this is a tough one for me because a lot of times I do find myself siding with critics. So I'm not typically I'm I I normally do side with the critics but they definitely can be wrong sometimes but as far as just a movie well what's 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 a big example of that then where like other than the movies we've brought up like these main four what's another time where critics and fans disagree that you just still overwhelmingly agree with the critic side of things okay okay well I think with I'm trying to trying to think of something maybe fairly recent. What's something kind of recent that people? Well, how about I this? Mean, I mean, I I can actually start this one. Yeah, go ahead. I think I got one, but go ahead. All right. It'll give me kind of chance to flesh it out. Yeah. All right. So next, we'll we'll do a little thing where we talk. Uh, just real quick, we'll just talk about some movies where we uh where we agree with the critics over the fans. So critics and fans have an overwhelming disagreement with their opinions on a movie and these are just kind of some movies other than the ones we've talked about where we agree with the critics over the fans now my example for this might surprise a lot of people not necessarily that i like this movie but of their perceptions of that movie and it's one Justin actually brought up in a different instance of this but it is the movie la la land because people that like that movie already know that the critics like that movie and so they just think people like that movie it turns out a lot of people don't like that movie. It's actually not that well received with just fans. I know a lot of people that I've talked to that have seen La La Land that just did not like that movie. And that always surprised me. Every time I heard somebody say they didn't like La La Land, you know, like a lot of people thought, uh, oh, God, why can't I remember his name at this moment? Ryan Gosling? Um, Yes, dear God, what the fuck's wrong with me? I think I was just distracted because I was thinking about his abs or something. So like (laughs) Ryan Gosling, like a lot of people talked about how he was wooden and that like him and Emma Stone didn't have chemistry and stuff like that. Like, and that's, and I never saw that. Like, I never felt like they didn't have chemistry. Like, I've always thought they had good chemistry, especially like all the way back to like Crazy Stupid Love. Mm -hmm. I thought they had great chemistry, but a lot of people knocked that movie saying they they didn't have that, that the musical numbers were very inconsistent. Now, I'm not saying that La La Land is perfect because I didn't like how it was kind of musically heavy at the beginning as far as like your in general musical numbers went. And it actually kind of waned very much in this like into the second, into the third act. I was like, well, that's a very weird inconsistency for a musical type of movie to have. But in general, like I got all the feelings of that old school Hollywood musical. And I think they have phenomenal chemistry. I didn't think Ryan Gosling was wooden. Like, it's just one of those things that that really surprised me. 
like coming out of that movie. Like I just always thought like everybody liked that movie. And then I just started hearing more and more from just people I know in general that they didn't like that movie. And that always surprised me. So I guess that's my example of something that uh, critics uh, disagreed with the fans. And I, I wholeheartedly uh, side with the critics on that one. Um, Justin, what's an example of that for you? Okay. So my example, I tried to pick something a little more recent. So, I think I'm going to go with Batman versus Superman. Now, the critic score, and I do think we did have one person bring this up, and I want to say they were more on the side of they didn't understand why critics hated that film so much. Because um, just looking at Rotten Tomatoes, I know Batman versus Superman is like at just a, it's over 20 something percent. It's like 25, 26%. It's got a super low rating. So, um, and I want to say it's almost 70% with fans and things like that. And this is definitely one of those movies where I am in total agreement with the critics. I, to say I didn't like Batman versus Superman is an understatement. I thought that to 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 have the two arguably the two biggest su- superheroes that there are the two biggest heroes that there are Batman and Superman and that was the movie we got I just thought that it was severely disappointing I felt like the movie had several different identities it didn't know if it wanted to hurry up and just get to the next movie it didn't know um how to handle the Batman character, I hated the way he was written. There was nothing smart or very detective-like about this Batman at all. I thought he was jumping to conclusions and falling for traps too easily. Uh, Superman, even though he was the the uh, uh, supposed to be a main part of this movie, I just didn't feel like the character moved much. I didn't feel like the, the, the they did much with this character despite him being there. I didn't like this version of Lex Luthor. I just hated that version of Lex Luthor. And then there were so many things that just they failed to explain or develop. So you didn't really understand how this Lex Luthor plan was coming to fruition or taking place. And the fact that you have to watch uh, a Snyder cut in order to understand basic plot elements of this film or understand how certain things went together, I think just speaks volumes for why I hated this movie. Um, the, of course, the infamous are both of our mother's names are Martha. So now we aren't fighting each other. That Martha moment, which will probably forever live in infamy. <laughs> There's been so many memes about that. There's <laughs> been so many uh, things created about that Martha moment. Um, I still just feel like that was just one of the most cringe worthy moments of the film. And I just hated what they did with Doomsday. I, th- I think that in the comics, Doomsday is a pretty cool, pretty formidable character. But he was wasted here. I think that's a character that could have easily gotten its own movie. But we wasted him here because we were trying to tell a Batman Superman story, a Justice League origin story, and the death of Superman story all in one movie. And I absolutely hated it. And yes, I totally agree with critics. Anybody who liked that, they only like it because of their Superman and Batman fandom. 
And believe me, I understand. I wanted to like the movie because I'm a fan of Superman and Batman. I love those characters. But come on, guys. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's we've been a few years removed. Let's call it how we see it. And let's just say that that movie absolutely freaking sucks. Well, I can say you're not wrong on that, Justin. Heather, what about you? When did you side with critics? So one where I sided with critics on it, um, it's a movie I've mentioned before, which is funny because it's not like a movie that I watch all the time or that I'm like, it's one of my favorite movies, but it just happens to come up for me. So um, I'm going to go with Speed on this, the original Speed movie. Critics loved it, gave it like a 93% audience, not so much like somewhere in the 70s. Um, I agree with critics more on this. I think it's a, a great movie. I think it's entertaining. Like, even if I were to watch it now, I think I would still find it to be fairly entertaining. Um, you know, it was simple, a simple made movie. Like, it just, it didn't have to do too much. It told the story it needed to tell. It had enough action to keep you um, interested in it the whole way, but they didn't have to overdo anything or oversimplify anything, really. So I appreciated that element to the movie. I just think it's great. I think it's a really good movie. And I definitely think critics have this one more nailed down than the audience did. See, I'm actually very surprised by that because that speed has the feeling of a movie that critics would hate. Right. And audiences and would, love. would love. Yeah. yeah it does. I, I mean, I, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I love speed. I mean, I don't know anybody that hates or doesn't like speed. I mean, right. and maybe it's one of those movies where at the time it just never got any buzz. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's like something like Shawshank Redemption, which was like critically like acclaimed, but like no one watched it when it was out. And then all of a sudden it became a cultural thing. Like maybe that's what happened with speed. Mm-hmm. Just at the time, nobody watched it. And maybe that's why its its audience rank was so low. I mean, unless I, I guess not. I don't know if they were doing the the cinema score thing back then, where they were actually pulling people outside of theaters. Right. I mean, so maybe that really is now. Like, how the fuck do only seventy five or seventy whatever percent of people like Speed? I know it's like, got a seventy six percent from audience and a ninety three from uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, so that'd be a current score. That's current that people are giving mm-hmm. it a seventy three, and that blows my mind. I know. Like I said, any any time I've thought of Speed, it always just feels like a movie critics would hate, but like fans love. Mm-hmm. How, how do you not like Speed? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like most right, people do, I talk to, like back when it was, you know, a more popular movie, they all were like, oh, yeah, the movie's great. Like, I didn't know anybody, like you said, that didn't like it. So it is a little surprising, but I think critics are definitely more right on that one. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah that- nothing bad to say about it. It was definitely one of the more... Uh, I think it's one of the better movies that Keanu Reeves has done, you know, and he's done quite a few at this point in his career, but I felt like that was one of the highlight ones. Yeah, that's that's definitely on the the highlights category for Keanu. I mean, everything, even like Dennis Hopper as the villain, it was great. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of the few times I didn't hate Sandra back in the day. Yep. <laughs> some bullock in there, some bullock. Yeah. I mean, oh, that's crazy. That that really truly surprised me. All right, let's flip it. Um so Heather, what's a movie that critics did not like, but the fans did like. Do you also enjoy with the fans? All right. In this category, unfortunately, there's a lot that I probably am like, I love that movie and nobody else really liked it <laughs> or critics at least didn't. Um, I'm going to officially for this one, I'm going to pick Step Up 2 because I love that movie. It's my favorite dance movie of like the million dance movies they made back around that time. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. What? You have to come. You have to come right with it. Step up to the streets. I'm sorry. The streets. Yes. Yep. You can't forget the streets. 
step up to the streets. So <laughs> I, you know, this, the first step up, I actually am also, it's sort of the same thing with that one, but step up to the streets is my favorite of these movies. Um, definitely, you know, critics hated it. They thought it was terrible. Most fans really liked it. So I'm going to definitely side with fans on that one. I think that the actual choreographed dances they do, like that end scene when they're dancing in the rain, like it's super awesome. Like I could watch it now and be like, that's still so cool. You know, I really liked it. I think that <laughs> um, of these movies, the acting in this one, I'm not going to say it's great by any means, but it's better than some of the other ones for sure. So <laughs> I will give it that. But I just like the story of it. I liked the characters in it. and. Um, I don't know. It was just a fun film for me. It was just a fun one to, to watch. And I would, it's, if it's on, I'll watch it. So I definitely think that the, the audience and the fans have it right over the critics on this one. Yeah. You're definitely going to get zero arguments from me with that. Cause I'm a huge advocate <laughs> for the step up franchise mm -hmm. and you are correct. Step up to the streets is the best of the franchise. Uh, just hands down, not even close. Yep. It's great. It's, it's, above and beyond way better uh justin when do, have you sided with fans over critics well definitely um i know that quite a few of the uh more old school horror films i i believe are most of them are traditionally panned by critics but one gem that i just had to talk about and we had discussed just a bit before we got on here and i had mentioned it but I, I couldn't wait to talk about it a little bit, but Friday the 13th part eight, Jason takes Manhattan is super <laughs> panned by critics. I mean, it's just got a terrible score. Um, of course, uh, uh, on, on most platforms that you look at, it's, it's not going to be rated well, but this is probably one of my favorite Friday the 13th. I mean, besides the, the first one, this one probably is my favorite one that really that really stars the Jason character. I think that this um it, it had some of the most fun kills. I think it had some of the most memorable moments with Jason, like him and the boxer on the on top of the building. And if you haven't seen Jason that, versus the boxer. That that boxer death scene is one of my all-time favorite kills in a horror movie just ever like if you have not i mean i urge you right now after you're done with this because i know that uh, you just have plenty of time and you must not have a life because you're listening to us uh, just kidding <laughs> but after you get done with this go to youtube and watch jason versus boxer just type that in that scene will come up and if that is not the greatest thing you have ever seen then just watch it again until it is and again and again every single day until you realize what we're talking about because it's a fantastic scene it's and that's what i think i loved about this movie this was one of the first friday the 13th movies where jason really started getting a little more meta the the filmmakers and the writers were definitely self-aware at this point they knew that this was the eighth one in the franchise and it seemed like this was where jason started to take a turn into more of the meta and self-awareness and being a little more funny and a little more comedic with things rather than trying to be so serious. So I just loved this movie and, and it was refreshing getting a different, um, a different setting. 
outside of Camp Crystal Lake. So we were on a boat and we were um, in the city and we were walking around. We were in alleys. So I just like the different flavor that this brought to the Jason films, especially after seven straight films. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm definitely 100 percent with you on that. It's it really is up there in the top epsilon of the the Jason films. <laughs> I mean, it's it's maybe second to, you know, Friday the 13th part two, whenever it comes to the Jason mm-hmm. uh, part of the that franchise. I mean, it it truly is just in every way, shape or form, just a fucking fantastic slasher film. Um, I'm going to go uh with one that I actually just very recently watched. I don't know really how fans feel about this movie. I just know anybody I know that has talked about it never really said anything bad about it. And I know critics just absolutely hated it. Um, but I just actually recently watched it and I thought it was actually just like a little, a fun little, little romp. And that'd actually be the movie, uh, Rampage starring Dwayne, the rock Johnson and, uh, what's his name? Um, Morgan, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, it's a very new movie. Well, not very new, but it, I mean, it came out within the last year or so. And I know critics hated it. And like I said, anybody I know that's said anything about it, they all they all liked it. And I just never ended up watching it until today, in fact. And uh, yeah, the official score no, just, from critics is 51%. Audience is 75%. See? Yeah. No, I thought it was great. Yeah, wow. Especially for it being a video game movie. Uh, for it being a video game movie, I th- actually want to say it's one of the best video game movies out there just for the sheer fact that if you look at it from its source material of just two or three monsters depending on what version of it you're playing just destroying the fuck out of some buildings and moving on to the next one it very much follows that type of formula i mean it's very accurate to the games i mean they add some depth to the story and all this other stuff as they are one to do but i mean when you look at the story of the games and and just even the gameplay of the games. It's not like the gameplay of the games is even hyper complicated. It's destroy shit and eat people and move on. And that's what this movie is. This movie fits that franchise to a T. And so to me, if you like the rampage franchise, even just for nostalgic reasons, there's just zero reason why I don't feel like you would like this movie. I mean, it's just the same shit. It's the monsters destroying some buildings, eating some people, and moving on to the next one. I mean, it's it's rampage in movie form. It legitimately, it one hundred percent lines up with oh, what a rampage movie should be. I think that's did done that more so than uh, any other video game for the most part. Uh, movie uh, with maybe the exception of Mortal Kombat. I mean, the difference between Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat the movie was the game was just infinitely more violent than the movie actually was, but for the most part, it was kind of the same. Um, so to me, it's it, it's right up there with top video game movies of all time, With especially when, like I said, you take into account the gameplay and story of the first or of the video games. It's, it's that movie form. So I had zero complaints with it. And like I said, enjoyed it. Had a few little chuckles. Saw some big ass monsters destroy some fucking buildings. I was like, fuck yeah. Especially it takes place in takes place in Chicago. I got to see the building I work at get destroyed. That was kind of fun. <laughs> I mean, pretty much the entire area I work in was destroyed by the end of that movie, and that was really interesting. Because like I was like, oh, I literally walked by that building today and this movie destroyed it. That's crazy. So it, it had that other little fun aspect of it that, you know, really kind of made it just even a little little extra fun for me. Um, other than that, guys, do you have anything else you want to add to this before we end this stupidly long podcast? I think I'm good. Okay. I guess the the last thing I'll say, and I'll make this really quick, is that um, 
so even though this uh, war between critics and fans will probably be something that exists as long as uh, we have movies and movies continue to be made, I think it is worth pointing out that critics have been wrong and fans have dictated in a lot of ways, especially in our culture, what has been considered a classic movie, what has been considered a movie that um, is considered gold standard as far as uh, American cinema is concerned. And when you do some research, it's remarkable how many films, when they were first released, were panned by critics initially, but now are widely considered some of the greatest movies of all time. When I looked at this list, I was surprised to see movies like The Shining, The Exorcist, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, um, movies like that, Fight Club, movies like that, where now they are considered some of the gold standards when you talk about movies. But at the time, critics panned them. They came out with mixed reviews. They came out with... um Many reviews saying that this is not a movie that I would recommend. So it just kind of goes to show you that, yes, while, yes, critics can give you some insight, critics will always be relevant when it comes to movies. And yes, it always is good to seek out critics' opinions to kind of find out what they think about movies and compare and contrast. You can't always forget about the fans. You can't always forget about those fan reviews. And fans' opinions do matter. That's what drives the money. That's what drives the movies. And ultimately, sometimes a fan can, a fan's perspective can even trump a critic's perspective. So just thought I'd add that. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And, and also to add to that, I mean, you are 100% correct. I mean, I know a lot of movies like to blame it when they bomb on critics, but critics ultimately have zero say in whether or not a movie succeeds or fails. I mean, look at the Transformers franchise. I mean, say what you will about them, but they're critically panned movies. But fuck, that franchise is worth billions of dollars and they keep making them. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's ultimately all that matters. I mean, critics hated Venom. We hated Venom. Venom's going to get a sequel. Movie made stupid amount of money. You know, it's ultimately that's that's all that matters is movie studios don't really care what critics have to say as long as people come to their movies. As long as people buy the tickets and come see their movies, that's all that really matters. Mm -hmm. You know, DC, you know, Batman versus Superman was critically panned, but it made a good chunk of money. It didn't make what they thought it was going to make because they thought it could make Avengers money, but it it still made a good amount of money. Mm -hmm. Critics hated it. So that's why DC kept making those type of movies for a while. That's why Suicide Squad was what it was. What Wonder Woman was what it was. They kept making those type of movies until it just wasn't financially viable. When Justice League just drastically underperformed box office wise, that's when they really started changing direction with a lot of things. You know, I mean, ultimately, that's what drives it. It's fans. Fans are what ultimately dictate what type of movies we're going to get. Because if it's if it's an out there or a high concept movie or a big divergence from what you would normally have, but fans, you know, respond to it and fans buy tickets and the movie makes a lot of money. Hollywood's going to make more of them. I mean, look at something like, like uh, crazy rich Asians, you know, it's a fairly low budget movie that, I mean, critics and I mean, critics did like that movie, but God, it made a stupid amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the fact that we're probably going to get rom-coms and things like that 
from these other cultural perspectives like you did in Crazy Rich Asians, we're, we're going to get more of those. That's, that, that's going to happen because Crazy Rich Asians made a stupid amount of money. Um, and that's just that's the way Hollywood works, you know. And so ultimately, I mean, everybody can hate movie critics all they want. People can blame critics all they want, you know, all this other stuff. But ultimately, the people with power when it comes to all this are the fans. It's you have to pick and choose what you spend your money on. And I mean, I know that's a, in a way easier said than done. I mean, especially for us, you know, doing this podcast and doing the website and things like that. I mean, I've spent a lot of money buying movie tickets to movies I did not want to give a cent of my fucking money to, especially after I watched it. I was very upset with myself that I did spend that money on it. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, but it's, you know, it's kind of my, my job and goal with all this is, you know, to do all that. And, you know, and it's, it's another thing also when it comes to like uh, piracy, you know, like downloading movies on tort and stuff like that. It's, if you end up liking the movie, but you torrented it and other people did the same thing and it didn't make as much money, you might not get another one, you know? So that really is that double-edged sword of that, you know, it might've been very cheap for you to do it, but ultimately when Hollywood doesn't make that money on it, you don't get more of them. So, I mean, that's another example and another reason why, you know, the piracy aspect of it uh, really isn't helping situations, especially if you like it. You know, Hollywood especially isn't one to look at pirated numbers and go, oh, this was really pirated. You know, maybe that still means something. You know, HBO kind of turned that around a little bit because Game of Thrones is the most pirated show of all time. Um, You know, so they look at that as people still like Game of Thrones. You might not be paying for HBO, but you might buy a T-shirt. So they're, they're, they're hoping they can make their money off you in another way. A lot of movies don't have that. A lot of movies don't have merchandise outside of your comic book movies and your kid movies and stuff. So, you know, it really is important to, you know, buy tickets to the movies you want to see. Don't buy tickets to the ones you don't want to see, you know, or movies you think are bad or stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. and things like that. And if you like a movie, talk about it, you know, get other people to go see it. That's the other, that's the other thing about it. And if you don't like a movie, tell people. You know, because if you don't like a movie and you don't think your friends will like it and you explain to them why, maybe they won't go see it and it won't make as much money and you don't get more of it. You know, maybe then they change it around if it's a franchise or something like that. So ultimately, remember, guys, like Jess was saying, fans ultimately have the power in this and that's all that really matters. And on that note, thank you guys for listening. Uh, visit our website, www.cinemaslayers.com. Instagram, Cinema Slayers. Facebook, Cinema Slayers. Twitter, Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, check all that out. Uh, drop us a line. We have our merchandise shop with our Threadless uh, store with a link on our website and on our Facebook and all those other places. Um, check us out. You know, like, share, review the podcast. Suggest it to your friends. Keep interacting with us on the uh, social medias. We do love hearing from you guys, especially when it comes to topics like this. Because you always hear some bad shit, crazy things like Heath Ledger was a terrible joker or on the same you know, flip side, uh, somebody saying that Daredevil uh, was great because it was. And, you know, the more people that say that, uh, that means there's more people that are right and everyone else is still wrong. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And remember, as always, nobody gives a fuck about that stupid horse biscuit. Nobody gives a fuck about Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit mm-hmm. is a waste of fucking time. Okay, maybe I can understand not liking Seabiscuit, but you have, there's no excuse for you not liking Little Sebastian. I'm questioning our friendship. All Little Sebastian is, is a little fucking horse.
So he's just a little version of something I don't give a fuck about. His mane. Oh, you mean that tuft of hair on the back of a horse that doesn't matter because it's a tuft of hair on an animal that should not exist anymore? Now, if we're talking songs about horses, that song is the winner. I'll give you that. Sure. It's a fine, it's a fine little ditty. <laughs> but ultimately, it doesn't matter because it's about a little fucking horse. So I give it even less fucks about little Sebastian because he's a little version of something I don't give a fuck about at all anyway. Oh my gosh. You're a terrible exactly. human being. Hey, that's fine. If if being a good human being means giving a fuck about those garbage beasts of burden called horses, I will gladly be a terrible human being. Oh boy. Yeah. All of this, all of this is going to be like an after credits thing on this podcast. <laughs> It's going to go to the music, and then all of that part is going to be on there after that. I approve that. Not even, you didn't even like when you were a kid. Now, now you're you're, going to lie about this, but I know for a fact, I bet anything you liked the Rainbow Bright Horse. No, I don't like horses. I've never fucking liked horses. What what, what about Quick Draw McGraw? Gave zero fucks. You know what what my favorite scene was? You know what my favorite scene is in NeverEnding Story? When the horse drowns. Or yeah, quick stands out. Trey, you has that horse die in front of his eyes. That's terrible to say, but he died. Yeah, like a good horse does. What about what the about black Bojack stallion? Yeah, Boo Bojack. I've never watched Bojack. I don't give a fuck about it. It's a, it's a show about a horse. Why the fuck would I watch it? But he talks. I don't give a fuck. He's animated. Okay. What else is he gonna do? Okay. Mm. All right. All right. We're moving on from the horse thing. <laughs> okay. Is this podcast now just going to turn into let's convince Sterling to like these movie horses? No. Mm, I give up. Good. As you <laughs> should. I'm going to send you a book of The Black Stallion. That was another good book yeah. about a horse. And I'll, and I'll burn it in the middle of my basement. Wow. Yikes. Because that's all it's good for is that five seconds of warmth that burning paper provides. <laughs> we'll put it this way, Justin. I would rather read the Bible again. Then ever read Black Stallion. What? Oh my gosh. Now I know you're serious. Okay, let's begin. I would rather read a Venom movie novelization. No, don't say that. Than ever read Black Stallion. The would you Venom listen to a Venom audiobook? Would you listen to a Venom audiobook narrated by Jennifer Tilly? I would listen to a Venom novelization audiobook voiced by Woody Harrelson doing his Cletus Cassidy at the end of that movie. Oh, God. (laughs) Before I would even think about saying the name of the book that you want me to say right now. Man, yikes. Point proven. Yeah. And on that note, 